Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, that was last year against the Braves, as everybody probably knows. Reese Hoskins hitting that dramatic home run. That was the bat spike one, right? Yeah, it was. Mike Sealski, good morning. I'm Glenn Mack now. And, Mike, we are not going to be seeing that again anytime soon. As everybody knows, Reese Hoskins went down in a um, spring training game the other day, clumsily tried to field a ground ball behind first base, collapsed to the ground, left knee torn to shreds, and most likely out for the year, needs reconstructive surgery. So a lot I want to ask you about, Mike. Um one is, because you've spent time in that clubhouse, mm-hmm. just how bad you feel for him as a guy. Absolutely, Glenn. That was the first thing I thought of uh, when I saw that he had gotten injured. And then, of course, when you realize fully how se- severe the injury was, Hoskins is the guy in that clubhouse who's been there the longest and been through the most. Uh, he was the sliver of hope, of light, when the team was terrible and he comes up and is hitting home run after home run, and you think, oh, my gosh, the Phillies have stumbled into a superstar. And if he hasn't been a superstar, he's at least been incredibly productive, incredibly streaky, uh, and incredibly important to them getting to the World Series last year. I think his contributions get underplayed because of the heroics of Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber, uh, but he's a big part of this team, and they're going to miss him. They're going to miss him big time, and he is a lot of things. And I know that he, he over the years, has aggravated fans, and he can be the corner butcher, a nickname that Ray Dinger yeah. uh, aptly gave him. And he would get cold. He would go on cold streaks. But then he would go on these amazing hot streaks. But I also feel kind of what you're alluding to, which is after all this time, he's, he's one of us. He's, yeah. he's a good guy. He's a Philly. He and Nola are the guys who have been here through thick and thin, and there was a lot of thin. Um, there were bad times, and um, you know now there's 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 the chance that this team is going to be really good again this year, and he doesn't get to be part of it. Yeah, which I'm sure is killing him. Of course it is. Uh, there were moments last season when they were getting to and making their way through the playoffs that he'd get interviewed after a game, either on TV or in the clubhouse, and we get emotional talking about the fact that he was getting the chance to experience postseason baseball in Philadelphia. He and his wife, Jamie, had made Philadelphia their home. They were part of the community. Mm -hmm. All that stuff that Gabe Kapler talked about doing in the two years that he was here, Reese and Jamie actually did. Yeah. And so in that regard, I always blanched a little bit when people would criticize Hoskins in the way that they did. Not that, of course, he was beyond criticism. Of course, he, you know, 
had done things that he should be criticized for. But there seemed um, a personalness to it at times that uh, I, I'm not sure people fully appreciated how much he had given to the organization uh, and how productive he actually was. Yep, and a very good guy with the media, a very good guy with the fan base, always gracious with the fans. Um, and I know there are people who didn't want him back this year. Guess what? You're, you're going you're gonna to find out what he means because he is not playing. A um, couple of quick questions for you. Mike Sielski, if you had to bet $1,000 right now on whether or not Reese Hoskins will ever play another game for your Philadelphia Phillies, what would you say? I would bet no. Would you? Yeah, I would. Uh, I think this was kind of a Pat Burrell-style year for him. If you remember Burrell in 2008, I believe it was, the year obviously they won the World Series. Kind of going into that year was kind of thought that this is going to be Burrell's last season. He was in the last year of his contract. Uh, the Phillies were not going to pay him to stay long-term given his age and you know, the desire to upgrade if possible or give other guys a shot. I think this was going to be Hoskins' last year here anyway. And so I would be surprised, very surprised, if he were back next season in uniform. I think in a weird way this actually makes it more likely that he'll be back. Mm, um, because he's, you know, you go into – if he had had a typical Hoskins year, 30 home runs. And by the way, he's, he's good for 30 home runs pretty much every year. Yeah. 30 home runs, 85-90 RBIs, OPS around 840, which is what he does. Which, mm -hmm. By the way, that's good, folks. That's really good. Uh, I think that he would have a lot of offers coming out of this year. Now he's going to be coming back next year off of an injury. So who knows him? Who's going to take a chance on him? In a weird way, I think it makes it more likely that he'll come back, but who knows? Who knows? We'll I see. mean, we're going to see. I'll tell you what we're going to see. We're going to see what Derek Hall can do, mm -hmm. getting some regular playing time. We're going to see what Edmundo Sosa, who the Phillies are incredibly high on and who has been. Had a great spring. Has had an incredible spring. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see how much he's improved. And, look, at the end of the year, maybe you're right that it makes it more likely that Hoskins comes back. The flip side could be true, too, where the Phillies, who knows, maybe uncover some kind of diamond in the rough here between Hall and Sosa. Maybe. Or other options as well, which we'll talk about in a second. By the way, 215-592-9494. We'd love to talk to you. We've got a lot of issues we're going to get to today. We'll tee all that up in a moment. By the way, just this, one more thing on his production. Uh, 846 career OPS. I said it was around there. Averages 30 home runs every 500 bats. Walks a ton. Can't play defense. We know that. Yeah. Streaky. He hit four home runs. Uh, versus San Diego in five NLCS games and then went three for 25 in the World Series. So it, it is. It's streaky. He's, he's, we booed him before. We, we have yeah. booed Reese Hoskins in the past. He, he's, when he's good, he's great, and when he's bad, he's horrid. Okay. So what is it? What, is, what do you do now? Uh, and you mentioned Derek Hall, and, uh, and clearly he gets the first shot to play against right-handed players. This is the thing about Derek Hall, and he – he came up last year. He had nine homers in about a quarter of a season. He's got the power. Mm -hmm. He also had 44 strikeouts to five walks. Yes, and he and he could not hit left-handers at all. Right. Struck out every third at bat. Can he be a platoon player? Can he be a guy who can give you 400 bats this year against righties? It remains to be seen to me because pitchers haven't seen him enough to figure him out. Yeah, I think that's true. I think he's going to get that chance, and... The quotes you read from coming out of Clearwater from people like Rob Thompson and Dave Dombrowski and Kevin Long, the hitting coach, are very encouraging, but it's still just spring training. Right. Uh, the other option they have, of course, is that when a left-hander is on the mound uh, or 
maybe they just do this anyway. You play Alec Bohm more at first base and put Edmundo Sosa right. at third. All right. You jumped ahead of me in my logic there, but let's go with that. Okay. Okay, let's go with Bohm at first base. Uh, by the way, I got the odds out of Vegas uh, for Bohm yesterday. Bet, BetOnline.ag does odds for everybody. Mm-hmm. They're over-unders. This is the over-unders for Bohm this year. 14.5 home runs, 70.5 RBIs, 275 batting average. Now, I've seen a lot of projections that this is Bohm's breakout year. Jim mm-hmm. Bowden, Bowden yeah. uh, the former GM of the Reds, who does a lot of uh, TV now, mm-hmm. said Bohm's going to be one of the five breakout stars of the year. He's put on a lot of weight, a lot mm-hmm. of muscle. It's going to be big. He's dedicated and so on. Certainly his fielding improved last year. I don't know that I like Bohm at first because I – I don't know that Bohm gives me enough production at third. I need more production at first. If he's going to be the guy who can hit 20, 25 home runs, drive in 80, 90 runs, yes. The Alec Bohm I've seen in last previous years, don't love it. I get your Sosa thing. So I guess that's the equation is you put Sosa there. Here are some other things I would do. I would give JT Real Muto some at-bats at first base. You know, if you catch 100 games a year, play first base, DH for 50, 60 games a year, I think that prolongs his career. Yeah, it probably so, does. So I'm, I'm good with that. Um, maybe they make a trade. Uh, I'm going to just throw some names out there. Luke, Luke Voigt uh, is with the Brewers. Actually, I think today is the day. might be that Luke Voigt, you remember him, played sure. a lot with the Yankees. Yep. Uh, San Diego, I think, with Washington last year. He can hit home runs, hasn't been hot for a couple of years. Right. He's got an opt-out clause today if they don't put him on the roster. He's a guy I might look at as DH first base. Uh, a name that keeps coming up is Christian Walker, kid from Norristown, PA. There you go. Local kid. He knows his Zeps. Because <laughs> Yeah, what's the name of that place? Oh, Zeps is the name of the place. I think it is. I for- it's I good. I've it. had him. Somebody call in and tell us the name of that yeah, place. Yeah, the Zep place in Norristown because it's good. A blank on it. And I've been there, and it is good, um, which is a kind of a – Hoagie on steroids. Um, so Christian Walker is a free agent after this season. Uh, he's making $6 million on on a bad team, good defender, has some power. He's like a poor man's Reese Hoss. He, he had 30, 36 home yeah, runs last season. Yeah, but supposedly he's on the training block, CJ Cron, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Bottom line to me is this, and then I want to get a phone call or two in. Um, I am officially – one step away from serious worry, serious worry being two steps away from panic, Okay, that this team for which we had, Harry Callis, such high hopes this year, mm-hmm. and they bring in Trey Turner, and they bring in uh, Taiwan Walker, and they really bolster the bullpen, and coming off the high of last year's world, so this is going to be it. Yeah. Season starts Thursday, Mike. Thursday. Thursday. In Arlington. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think 4 o'clock, which is yeah. great. I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I am one step away from feeling like, oh, it's going to be the injury year. Because you don't have Ranger Suarez at the beginning of the year. Hopefully not long-term, but a pitcher with an arm like, mm-hmm. Painter, Andrew Painter was, oh, he's going to make the rotation. And like, I bet you we're not going to see him till. Uh, yes. I, I don't know when. I agree. Now you have lost an everyday player. And I, to my line of thinking, one of the five most important players on the team I think your paper, The Inquirer, did it their list. Came and, up with five. And they might yeah. have had him as number five or number six, whatever. Well, they, we included uh, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler in there. Uh, and yeah. Then, and then you have Schwarber, yeah. Harper, Real Muto. Turner, Real Muto. All right, so number six or seven. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, please don't tell me this is the cursed season. I, I don't want to tell you that yet, but 
it definitely is kind of trending in that ah, direction. It is. Now, now here's the thing. I think to hear you read those numbers on Alec Bowman yeah. on his over-under and production, yeah. I think those are low. for 14 and a half home runs. Yeah, I think he's a 20 home run guy. I really do, uh, at, at least. Not to date. You know, there, there's, there's an arc that a player's career often takes. Uh, yes. And, and I think we talked about this last week with respect to the Eagles, that at some point you have to say, okay, we have drafted this guy or acquired this guy, and he's a young guy, and at some point you have to trust that he's going to develop and, and make a jump, whether you're talking about Alec Bohm or Jordan Davis or someone along those lines. Mm-hmm. And I think Bohm is on that trajectory. I, I think he's a pretty good hitter. Um, look. I think he works at it. Yeah. Which isn't his favor in that regard. Yeah, and, and to be honest, Glenn, the, the fact that people are touting how much muscle and weight he has put on, mm-hmm. that was the thing. Anybody could see that that was what he needed to do, yeah. right? He was kind of a string bean yeah. in the box. Yeah. Well, okay, he did it. Like, that's that's a good – it's not as if he came back and looks bloated. He doesn't no, – no, he, no. he looks like a, a yeah. bigger, stronger version of himself. Yeah, he didn't – his upper body was a little scrawny. Yeah. Um, so, look, they still have, in Turner, a superstar. They still have Kyle Schwarber. They still have Wheeler and Noel at the top of the rotation. The bullpen is deeper. They're in a difficult division. They're in a tough division. But the advantage they have is they don't play those two teams, the the Mets and the Braves, as often. Right, change the schedule. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay, I understand your trepidation. I, I'm, not, I'm not burying. But. I'm just saying, like, I it's like the spring training has mostly been bad news so far. Yeah. And, and I, I want this to be the energy that was down at that ballpark in September into October into the playoffs was so great. When the Phillies are good, this town is a great baseball yes. town. And so. I want that this year. Mm-hmm. So I can't it. have any more. I All get right. it. Look, they're still going to get Harper back. Uh, yeah, maybe earlier in projected. Yeah, and they've got to hang in there for a while. All I right, think. I'm with you. Let's talk to Scott in Abington. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, guys. Hey, so uh, I agree with you, Glenn, that I think that it's more likely that he comes back. And the primary reason is sports is kind of a funny thing that defies logic when – a good player, a popular guy in the clubhouse goes down, regardless of the sport. The rest of the team picks it up a little bit. I think you add a little bit of juice if they get him back on a one-year deal for like $10 million. Not so much a prove-it deal, but something to show that there's going to be some continuity and to help light that spark. And uh, he has no trade value, obviously. And if he misses the entire year, he's not going to have a lot of free agency value either. So I think it's kind of a win-win for both uh, sides if well, they did something like well, that. I don't know about win-win since he's <laughs> currently laid up in a hospital bed, but I get your point. Yeah, he's going to get paid, and it'll make the other guys happy because he's obviously a like a well-liked guy. If he was kind of like the bonehead, they would already be moving on from him in their minds. You know, it's an interesting point, Scott. Um, the, the thought that comes to mind for me is 2005 with Jim Tomey and Ryan Howard. If you would, you know, Jim Tomey got hurt in 2005, which Mm -hmm. was the only reason that Ryan Howard got a shot to play first base regularly. My point being, not that the Phillies are going to uncover Ryan Howard or Derek Hall is going to hit 58 home runs in a season. My only point is we don't know yet what's going to develop over the course of the season. And the fact that Hoskins tore his knee up, I feel terrible for him, but in the last year of his deal, the odds to me say – 
Phillies are going to say goodbye. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Uh, 215-592-9494. Do we have time to bring this up? I, I, I want to bring this up. We may have to scrunch it and, and okay. get back to it. But this this is my favorite topic that came up. Okay. Week. Okay. <laughs> so Thursday late afternoon. Oh, by the way, Lou's is the Zep place in Norristown. Lou's, yes. Although, and thank you to Brett the Auctioneer who reached out to me and I think 37 people called Dan Wilson. Okay. As long as, as well as a place called Eves, which I've never heard of Eves, but I've been to Lou's. I have, I have a friend, uh, Katie, if you're out there listening, um, text me or send me a message to, to tell me exactly where the best Zep place is. Okay. Because I've been to Lou's, which is phenomenal and maybe Eves too. Okay. So Thursday late afternoon, Adam Schefter, ESPN, tweets, Zeke Elliott is currently deciding between the Bengals, the Jets, and the Eagles and wants to choose a team by the end of next week, to which I said, what? What? To which Howie Roseman said, what? So John Clark, who's great, reported, uh, I'm told as of right now the Eagles have not engaged in conversations. As of right now was an interesting way to put it. Yes. Not the Eagles have no interest, but as of right now, the Eagles are not engaged in conversations with Ezekiel Elliott about joining the team and are happy with the running backs they have now. Okay. Let's get to this. The Cowboys released Elliott earlier this month rather than pay him $11 million, which they would have had to pay him. Uh, he's got a lot of mileage. He does. He's had 2,100 combined rushes and receptions over the years. We know what happens to running backs as they hit the wall. Yes. We've seen it. Yes. DeMarco Murray. Although DeMarco Murray, that was more of a Chip Kelly problem. Probably Because he left here for Tennessee and actually was pretty good. Mm -hmm. But we know the story of running backs when they're cooked. Last season, Zeke Elliott ran for 876 yards. 3.8 3.8 per carry on the same team. Tony Pollard, behind the same line, averaged 5.2 yards a carry. In a season when rushing average was up Yes, big. not for him. He can block. Oh, yeah. He can catch pass. Uh, he is said to be a very good teammate. Good guy. All right, Mike Sealski, that's the setup. Could you, Michael J. Sealski? See, but okay. Okay. Uh, Charles? Charles, very good. Very good. Stomach, Zeke Elliott, in in that jersey with his belly button showing. <laughs> he he said he wanted to wear number 15. Sorry, retired in this town. Yes. Um, for uh, for Steve Van Buren. Uh, nonetheless, could you, Mike Sielski, endorse Zeke Elliott playing for the Philadelphia Eagles? I think I could. What? I, I think I could. <laughs> I don't think I'm crazy. And let me give you a name All right. yeah. that should call to mind some good memories for Eagles fans because I think it's a pretty good analogy or corollary. LeGarrett Blunt. LeGarrett mm. Blunt was signed to a one-year deal ahead of the 2017 season. LeGarrett Blunt, the year before, had led the NFL in touchdowns and rushing touchdowns for the Patriots. He carried the ball 299 times. He was a workhorse. Now, he didn't have the tread on him that Zeke has. Right. But he was part of a backfield by committee, which ended up being with Jay Ajayi and Corey Clement, that was incredibly productive for a team that won a Super Bowl. I could make a case that, depending on who the Eagles draft, uh, if they're able to get a running back, which I think they will be able to some point in the draft, 
not necessarily. No, some people say the first round. I don't think that's going to happen. That doesn't make much sense. Pick number 10, best running back in the country. No, 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 we'll see. Okay. But the point being, you've got Kenny Gainwell, you've got Boston Scott, you've got Rashard Penny. Um, You know, could it hurt to bring him in? Is it just because he's a cowboy that they wouldn't do it? It doesn't make much sense to me. Well, I will to to your point. I will tell you that you're not alone. John Ritchie, who I will always concede no more, knows more football than I do, endorsed this idea yesterday. There you go. Which shocked and stunned me. Also, to your point, I would say that I would imagine Ezekiel Elliott now has a vendetta against the Cowboys who kept Tony Pollard over him. I'm sure he would love to shove it up Jerry Jones's You know what? Nose. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was wondering how do Eagles players feel about it. Uh, Lane Johnson and Darius Slay both tweeted out, uh, retweeted his thing with like the eye, the bulging eyes. Look right. at this. Which seems to be more of an endorsement, right? A little bit. Okay. The answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) And it's for two reasons. Okay. I'll give you the football reason first. Okay. He's cooked. All right. I watched him last year. He was not breaking tackles. Mm -hmm. He was not doing it. I don't don't know why I would believe he's going to come here and have a revival. You know, to me, I really do believe that running backs are – you use them up and then they're done. Mm -hmm. The number of running backs who are cooked is far higher than the number of running backs who had a season like his – and then we'll rebound the next year. Right. Okay. Even as a situational guy, which is I know what you're saying. Give yeah. him give him 140 carries and you know other things. I I just think he's probably cooked. Here's the other reason. And you may not be aware of this. He's a cowboy. <laughs> he plays for the stinking cowboys. This never works. I, I want to read you a list. This okay. is ex Cowboys who came to the Eagles. I did this the other day, by the way, and this was just off the top of my mind. I'm okay. sure we could we could have more. DeMarco Murray. Was a and here. and Chris Bolniol. Oh, oh, good pull. And Miles Austin. Oh, God. And Felix Jones. And Kelvin Martin. And Orlando Scandrick. Oh. And Darren Smith. This is an ominous history. I honestly can't think of one that worked out. You might argue that Herschel Walker worked out, but he had the cleansing of the Vikings in between. Okay. He didn't come from the Cowboys. He had right. been with the Cowboys. He did not come from the Cowboys. This doesn't work, and I could I could not bear it. Wow, that's what I got. Okay, I, I wouldn't have too much of an issue with it. I think uh, the one factor you might want to think about if you're, you know, projecting mm. could he bounce back is you know the Eagles run training camp uh, differently from most teams. They give their veterans a lot of rest. Yeah, it seems to keep guys healthy for longer, gets them rejuvenated. I mean, my gosh, how many teams have a defensive end who comes off an Achilles? tendon surgery and mm-hmm. sets a career high in sacks the following year yeah, true we um, we wouldn't see him until week one against probably kansas city yeah right you know he's going to just be wandering around training camp yeah <laughs> so, in that jersey with the belly yeah, button exactly. showing i hate that um all i'm saying i'm this not is saying very personal for me it I will really admit. is man wow. i know I hate, um, I hate the cowboys i know i get it uh look i'm not suggesting they should go out and do it i'm suggesting that if they did it I could see the logic behind why it would work. Same mm. same sort of thing with Marcus Mariota as the backup quarterback. I see why they did it. Yeah. I have a little more of a hesitation because of the way things ended for him in Atlanta yeah, than, than most people. All right. Uh, Mitch, Elliot, good idea, bad idea? Yeah, bad Hey, guys, bad idea. You know, I don't want to – we're coming off of going to a Super Bowl. 
Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good, Mitch. I don't, I don't want somebody who's, you know, semi-washed up. We're going to have to change the game plan. Let's work with what we have. And, you know, he's, he's also going to be a little distraction, too, if he comes here. I think let's just, you know, keep it the way we're going. There you go. You, you don't need him. All right. You don't. Mitch, as, as usual, wisdom from you. Mitch, you're dead to me. Dead. And by the way, I don't. The distraction will be about two days. Yeah, that's. I remember the last time I thought like this is going to be a big distraction was Mike Vick. Yeah, and, and it was a big distraction for like three or four days, and it wasn't Tebow. Oh my God, it's going to be a huge distraction. Yeah, everybody like you know got their pictures the first day or two, wrote their stories, yeah. and then he was just another guy. Yeah, the Vick thing lingered longer for certain people, I think, because of the nature of what he had done. Uh, but he turned out to be a really good team. Right, and it was not a distraction to the team. Exactly. Right. All right, 215-592-9494. We kicked up two big issues uh, in the start, which were the Phillies post-Reese Hoskins, kind of what do you do, how do you feel about it, how do you feel about him on a personal level, and could you stomach, Ezekiel, stomach being an appropriate there word. There you go. Ezekiel Elliott. back to that jersey. Coming, yeah, uh, coming to your Philadelphia Eagles. Also, this is what we got on store for the next few hours. Sixers lose last night. Uh, more incredible games and upsets at the NCAA. Awesome. Living up to it. Just awesome. Eagles make a few signings. Uh, we're going to talk to Alex Coffey at noon about the Phillies from the Philadelphia Inquirer, terrific writer. And at 11 o'clock, very special interview with Mark Appel. Uh, if you've been following it, in brief, he was the top pick of the Major League Draft 2013. Can't miss guy who... Missed, got hurt, left the game, came back last year, finally Mm -hmm. makes the Phillies for a cup of coffee. I think he pitched in about six games. Uh, This week he got cut from the Phillies at age 31, probably faces the end of his career. Mike, he's written about it very reflectively. You've read what he's written. It's terrific. It's If anybody has ever read Ball Four by Jim Bouton, you know, about his experiences in the big leagues, what Mark Appel has written is very similar, maybe a little more heartfelt, not quite as funny but really, really terrific and reflective. So we're going to talk to him at 11 o'clock, uh, a player on what it's like to stare at the end of your dream. Yeah. And he explains it very well. And we'll take your calls. 215-592-9494. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Yeah, on his way to uh, 46 last night, while you were sleeping – or maybe watching Creighton uh, and the, that Princeton dream, which that I was, know you, or you watched that I one. watched most of that game. It yeah. was great. Well, while that was happening, the Sixers blew an 11-point fourth-quarter lead at Golden State. They, uh, in the fourth quarter, were 0 for 6 with three-pointers. They were out-rebounded 14-7. They lose 120-112. Uh, no James Harden again. Nope. Same time, Joel Embiid puts up 46, nine rebounds, eight assists, played 38 minutes. Um, they played a night at Phoenix. They play Monday at Denver. This is a long, it's long. They've been on the road, I think, for a year. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The second half of their schedule was really, really tough. They are now a game and a half behind the Celtics for second place. All right, there's a few things I want to talk about. Uh, let's start with Embiid because it was an amazing performance again last night. Mm-hmm. They lose. Not his fault. Um, I don't even want to have the MVP conversation because I, I'm kind of tired of that. But I do think, Mike, we are in the midst of watching a great Hall of Fame player in his prime. And, I mean, I have nothing more to say other than, God, it, I really appreciate that. Yeah. He's been everything, honestly, that you would want out of a superstar. This was why 
invoking the name. Here we go. Here we go. This is why Sam. Seven years of tanking. No, no, no. This is why Sam Hankey swung big in taking him, even though he was injured Mm -hmm. in 2014. I don't want to get into the tanking. But this is why you take a guy like him as opposed to the guy who's not as good, but he's probably going to play. Okafer. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nerland's Noel. Yeah. Every um, other guy they ever took. (laughs) Pretty much, yes. You swing big because when you connect, it's a player like Joel Embiid. And uh, what we're seeing from him this season, particularly since like the la- since the first 20 to 24 games passed by, um, the last two or three months, he's just been incredible. He's he really great. Has. He, is, he is great, and it's amazing to watch him. And, God, I appreciate him so much, and, and I just think we are blessed to have him. So here's the other question. They, as I said, they, they, well, they lose last night. They got a game tonight. They got a game on Monday. They're a game and a half behind the Celtics. Both the Sixers and the Celtics now will be entering next Tuesday with eight games to play. Mm-hmm. And we'll see, you know, where they are in terms of record. Uh, and the Sixers play the Celtics, I think, a week from Tuesday, right? Yes. Okay. So they got the one game left in the eight games against the Celtics. What's smarter right now for Doc Rivers and the Sixers, considering Harden's out, uh, you know, should should be able to come back, mm-hmm. but Harden's dealing with the Achilles, and Bede's got aches and pains all over the yep. place. you got injuries on the bench. you got a bunch of guys being hurt. Is it more important right now that you push for that two seed, that you say, you know what, we got to get that home court advantage down the road, mm-hmm. or that you'd say, you know what, Let's try to keep everybody healthy for the postseason. A lot of rest. Let's make sure that everybody's feeling good as we go in because those are the games that matter. What's the priority? I think, and I was, I was thinking about this after we discussed it before the show, I think the priority has to be getting Embiid in the best rested, best possible physical condition he can be in. Mm. Because what last night really showed to me, Glenn, was the same problem that's been plaguing the Sixers ever since Embiid became their centerpiece. They cannot take him off the floor. They are terrible without him. Look at last night. Yeah. He played 10 he, – he sat out 10 minutes of the game. Just 10. Over those 10 minutes, the Sixers were outscored by the Golden State Warriors by 21 points. That's insane. Wait, that again? He – the 10 minutes that Joel Embiid did not play last night for the Sixers, yeah. they were outscored in those 10 minutes by 21 points. <laughs> 21 points is a good amount just for a team to score in 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's a 100-point. <laughs> yeah, you're going to score. That's that's basically 25 <laughs> points. That's a 100-point, yeah, okay. you know, yeah. which means they ca- they're they not scoring. They outscored 100 to nothing. Right. They, <laughs> they, they couldn't score without him on the floor. Wow. And, and more importantly, if you look at – and Rich Hoffman Jr. from The Athletic crunched the numbers on this, when Embiid was on the floor in that game last night against Golden State, by crunching the numbers, the Sixers were a top-five defensive team in rankings with him on the floor. So it's not as if he's not giving you defense. Of course he's giving you defense. He's protecting the rim. He's doing everything you need him to do, so you have to maximize that. So my answer to your question is, if you have to rest him for the sake of the playoffs, I think you have to do it because having him be at his absolute best is essential to any mm. kind of deep postseason run you're going to make. Well, you may be correct, 
And it's going to be hard for me to argue against that. Uh, and Harden, the same thing, right? you got to give Harden as much rest as, as you can right yes. now. Yeah. I'm just looking to see. Okay, they are in minimal danger of falling behind the Cavaliers for the four seed. Yeah. I mean, they're they're still three games ahead. They, they'd really have to bottom nine, out. Right. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's say they can't drop that they the, – the issue now is second place or third place. Mm-hmm. You're going to play the Celtics either way in the second round, assuming everybody wins as they should in the first round. Yeah, but here's the thing. I know what you're going to say. Let's go – Game seven, mm-hmm. Celtics, second round, mm-hmm. okay? National TV, the yeah. whole thing, right? TNT, Barkley, everybody. Yeah. Okay. Do you want that game to be here, or do you want that game to be? At TD Garden. Yeah, I still call it Boston Garden. <laughs> yes, TD. I could see it in your eyes I that know, you wanted to say Boston Garden. Uh, I, I spent a lot of years in college I get it. going to that Boston Garden, I get man. It. I, I love that parquet floor as much as I hated the Celtics. I still want to call okay. it the Spectrum. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, not, not, not quite. Uh, although sometimes I go, wait, is it the FU Center? No. Uh, is it the, is the uh, Wachovia? Core States. Right. It's like <laughs> I, I sometimes will have to juggle those. Anyway, listen to me. Game seven against the Celtics, which, you know, very well could be. That's mm-hmm. going to be, a, we believe, ought to be a close series. Yes. So you got to finish him off in six. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking that what you say makes total sense. And it, it's, this is almost like the Ezekiel Elliott. Intellectually. Yeah. I and an, it. and yeah. by the way, as well as an argument we're going to have later involving college basketball, mm-hmm. a certain coach I would love to see come to town. Yep. Intellectually, Mike Sealski. Mm-hmm. I tend to agree with you. And intellectually is usually the road that you go down. Emotionally, mm. if it's Sixers Celtics and you got to win that game seven on the road, I just feel like we're going to say, like, why did they not try harder down the stretch? But I hear you. Yeah. You know, okay. they had home court advantage in 2021 against the Atlanta Hawks in game seven, too. Oh, God. Yeah, that was awful. The, and, but, and think about it from this perspective, too, Glenn. Yeah. Sometimes, especially given the recent history of the Sixers in the playoffs, sometimes being in front of a home crowd in Philadelphia, not all the time, not even most of the time, but sometimes, can get a team a little nervous. Mm. I remember game five of the 2011 National League Divisional Series. I remember... <laughs> Game seven, Sixers-Hawks. Yeah. Ugh. You know, where you just kind of, oh, yeah, we okay. can't possibly And they've won lose. on the road this yeah, year. Okay. Yeah, Although beating the Celtics is a different challenge. True. But okay. True. All right, that's it. We throw that into the mix, too, if you want to call on that. 215-592-9494. We've got a little Eagles talk coming into the next segment. The Eagles, things happen this week with the Eagles. Nothing uh, monumental, but we'll cover some of that. Mike Sealski, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say a little spackling of the roster. Yes, indeed, it was. Uh, and at 11 o'clock, we talked to Mark Appel. Fascinating story from him. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. By my count, Mike Sealski, there were about – Five guys blocking for him and five guys pushing his rear end on one of Jalen Hurts' many, many quarterback sneak touchdowns last year and what has become known as the tush push. I think that is a great term. I Yeah, it was a woman for the athletic, I think, came up with it. Yeah, maybe uh, Kaylin Kaler. Maybe. Um, Love to give her their, credit. Yeah, she's one of their national reporters. Um, I think it's a great term. I 
it's a shame the 2022 Eagles didn't win the Super Bowl, but they will have always bestowed <laughs> upon us the tush push. Which, by the way, I, you know, you hear I, I hear critics say, oh, that's not so hard to do. Any team could do that. You just get you guys behind it. What makes it work initially is your offensive linemen get down so low yep. so that the defensive linemen can't have high leverage. They, they're pushing those guys back at their knees, at their feet. And so those guys are leaning forward, and then you, you combine that with your tight end, your receivers, everybody, running backs behind Hurts, giving them a shove. So this week the NFL decided not to consider making it illegal, basically. They, right. they, they, they didn't take it up, and therefore the tush push shall continue for another season. A lot of critics. I think Peter King is the most vocal critic. Yeah. Uh, and some teams were that say, this isn't football, this is rugby. Right. I love the play, and I don't think I just love it because it's the Eagles. I think I love it because it's creative, and it is fun to watch. And it's more points. The idea that the NFL was going to ban a play that is so successful in producing touchdowns and offense and first downs was always, to me, ludicrous. That's what the NFL wants. They want scoring. They want TV ratings. They want exciting plays, and touchdowns are exciting plays no matter how you score. Yeah, and it's a run. Yes. I like a run. There you go. So there you go. So the tush push survives. Good for the Eagles. Well, good good for the Eagles, not so good for their offensive linemen. If you talk to their linemen, they hate that play. Hate it. Oh, hate, hate having to block it. Um, well, E.J. Smith, my colleague at the Inquirer, did a big story about this during the season when it became clear how effective the Eagles were at running this play. And he talked to the starting linemen. Landon Dickerson, in, in particular, I believe, was kind of like, look, I know it works, but you have any idea what goes on at the bottom of that pile? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it happens on every pile on every play, but yeah. that play in particular, the damage it does on their bodies and what they have to do, as you said, getting so low to make those blocks, it's tough on them. Yeah. I once had a conversation about Ike Reese about what happens at the bottom of the pile, Ooh. which was, you know, not not just blocking for having guys land on you, but like a fumble and 18 guys are diving on it. And I said, like, not very pretty down there. Oh no no guys no, no, are no. guys are going for anything they can grab. Oh, it is it is kill or be killed. It yeah. is the octagon. It is all of those things. <laughs> okay, in other news uh, for the Eagles, it became official this week. They lost NFL interception leader, co-leader, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, um, who signs with Detroit a one-year deal for a lot less than I think he expected to get. And then they add a couple of safeties during the week. They signed Justin Evans of the uh, Buccaneers and, and the Saints. And then yesterday they signed former first-rounder Terrell. Is it Terrell or Terrell? I actually don't know. You know, I'm not sure either. I, didn't, okay. I, usually, I haven't met him yet to know. It's Terrell. Dan Wilson says Terrell. I trust Dan Wilson. Okay. Uh, who uh, Former first-round pick of the Steelers, who's mm-hmm. been a starter for four or five years. I will ask you your opinion, but I will give you mine first, which is, yeah. Spackle for and the roster. Spackle. Yeah, that's that's what this is. And we've talked about it, Glenn. They're going to need they're not going to make a signing this offseason where you're going to go, wow, they got that guy. Yeah. Because they already feel like, and they're right to feel this way, that they drafted some players in the previous years mm-hmm. who they need to take steps forward. And this is a natural byproduct of having a quarterback who's going to get paid, having guys on your roster who already have gotten paid. You can't be a gigantic player in free agency every single year. You just can't. I agree. I agree. Now, you lost. I like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. It's so funny. The narrative after he left is, well, he was never very good anyway. <laughs> and then he was trouble. And I liked him a lot and thought he was a very good player for them. 
I appreciate that it, it, the negotiations just went sour, they and did, I, yeah. I don't know if it's his agent's fault or the Eagles said, "Look, we're you know we're, you you got a deadline to do this, or we're going to bring back Slay," and he didn't, and so they brought back Slay. Whatever they need to fill two safety spots because yeah. he left and F and Epps left. Marcus Epps, yes. So we'll see. Maybe they invest in the draft. Maybe they I, believe Blankenship is something special. Maybe they sign a familiar name. I've seen Jalen Mills out there. No, I think he signed. Oh, he did. I think he. he I think he signed the. Dan, That's could right. you check on that? I think Jalen Mills. Uh, got picked up somewhere. Rodney McLeod, I saw floated. Is he? Ooh, you want to bring Rodney back? I think I could be Rodney McLeod in a foot race. <laughs> um, but no, look, they're, they're going to have to just kind of patch. And that is the reality of where they're at right now. Okay. It just is. Do you draft a guy? I think about it, sure. Yeah. I certainly would draft a safety high in the draft before I'd consider taking a running back. Um, just because of the value of the position. Okay. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Jalen Mills goes back to the Patriots. On a there you go. Deal. Okay. Uh, yeah, so there also is the narrative that came up a lot this week, and we went up a lot of time here. I want to get out quickly because I want to get to our 11 o'clock guest that they draft Bijan Robinson, the best running back in the league at pick 10. Uh, again, I heard Ike Reese, who I respect tremendously on football, say this is a great idea. I don't think so. I, I mean, maybe I'm – thinking stubbornly, but to me, the offense is really pretty good, very good, exceptional, and the defense needs a lot of work. I'm looking at an edge rusher. I'm looking at a young cornerback. I'm looking at – I mean, I would draft a linebacker. They wouldn't. No. But I'm looking at taking somebody on defense. You have the best offensive line in football. You have a quarterback who, as much as any quarterback in the NFL, maybe more than any quarterback in the NFL – Forces defenses to account for him as a runner, which in turn opens things up for whatever running back you have in the backfield. Could be Miles Sanders, could be Kenny Gainwell, could be Boston Scott, could be Rashard Penny, could be whoever you draft. Mm -hmm. I would not, no way would I use a first-round pick on a running back, never mind the 10th pick in the draft. It would be a total misallocation of resources to me given the way the Eagles are already set up. I'm with you. 215-592-949 for coming up. Don't go anywhere. This is going to be a special one. If you remember, back in the day, Ray Didinger and I used to do Tell Us Your Story, and it was a popular feature. Um, Mike and I are going to kind of have that opportunity with a guy. If you don't know who Mark Appel is, you'll learn very quickly. But he's he's the guy who was supposed to be a great, great Major League player. It did not pan out for him. Phillies released him this week. Mark uh, who worked all those years, finally got to the majors last year, speaks very honestly um, and and introspectively about it, and we will talk to him coming up. With Mike Sielski, I'm Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. And it's time for me to tell you, if you're tired of dealing with those old inefficient windows in your house, maybe it's time to go Gaida. How about that old drafty, beat-up-looking entry door that you've painted over more times than you can count? Well, go Gaida. If you need added protection from the elements from New Storm, Go Gaida. And what about those sliding patio door, that garage door you've been meaning to replace for so long? Go Gaida. Whatever your home improvement needs are, I suggest you go Gaida with the great people at Gaida Door and Windows. To help you get your project started, Gaida is offering 20% off all windows and doors while allowing you to start your project with no money down, up to three full years to pay it off interest-free. That's right. Receive 20% instant savings with the luxury of paying off your project interest-free for up to 36 months. Restrictions apply. Offers for a limited time. So what are you waiting for? It is time you finally go Gaida. 
Call today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Congratulations, Mark. That was last June. That is Mark Appel striking out Adam Duvall of the Braves. And Mark Appel joins us now. Uh, Mark's journey has been a fascinating one. Number one pick in the 2013 Major League Draft. Finally makes his big league debut last year, just shy of his 31st birthday. Uh, Mark battled injuries and ineffectiveness over the years. He left baseball in 2017 but came back in 2021. You just heard his debut he made six appearances for the Phillies last year, had a nifty 1.74 ERA, even got a National League championship ring. Earlier this week, the Phillies released Mark. Uh, whether he will pitch again in the majors is an open question, but Mark chronicled it all in a journal and on social media, and Mike, you and I were talking, an introspective, fascinating look from an athlete absolutely worth reading and joins us now. Uh, Mark, I'm sorry about the long intro, but welcome to the show. No, no worries. Thanks. Okay. It's, I, I get it. It's a unique. I've, I've lived a unique life in the baseball world. Um, so you have. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be talking to you guys. So well, we appreciate it. And, and both Mike and I, again, just really got caught up in, in the journal that you kept. So let's let's go through it. Let's let's slow play this. Uh, you were drafted in <laughs> yeah. 2013. And what you wrote is I was a can't miss prospect. And for five years, the Astros and then you came to the Phillies. Gave you opportunities to develop. You were always in the list of top prospects. It it didn't happen. Um, so I guess the first question uh, is is what went wrong? Why didn't it happen? Uh, there's there's so many factors. Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me this question, and it, you know, it's hard for me to just put my finger on one thing. You know, um, you know, but I, I I've I've learned to to just kind of be honest about man what what circumstances were were wrong what was there anything that i did wrong anything other people did wrong um and just trying to make make sense of a lot of it um you know i I think physically my my body started to uh to get um you know was just affected by the workload uh that pro ball offered you know the astros when we first started in um when i first started in pro ball i was in you know a ball um you know, they, they were, they, this was kind of during the years where they were, you know, they had consecutive number one, three consecutive number one picks, um, doing the total rebuild. Everyone thought the Astros were crazy, you know, um, and, uh, and, and they were trying to reinvent the wheel in, in some things and just kind of using the minor leagues as a, as a testing ground for a lot of stuff. And um, so I was there when we were doing like this piggyback system and I would, I went from pitching, you know, once a week in college to um, over twice a week in, you know, in, in pro ball. I had, you know, six days off in college to three days off in, in the minor leagues. And I, my body just didn't respond super well to it. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was – it wasn't a work ethic thing. You know, I, I definitely showed up every day and gave my best effort. Um, but, you know, there were, there were just a lot of things. And I think the pressure and the expectations and trying to deal with – um, just what everyone thought of me. Um, you know, I've learned, I've learned a lot, you know, I, 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 I'm a people pleaser by nature. Um, and so when you're put in that, in that situation to say, man, it's not just my teammates or, or my coaches that I'm trying to, to play for, but, you know, obviously my family, but, but man, there's so much expectation in the whole world of baseball, 
um, and probably making things just bigger than they really needed to be at the time. Um, you know, I think when you, you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid and you're two years in a row expected to be a top three pick in the draft, um, you know, it's like everyone says you're great and you start to believe them. And, you know, it's not it's not a complacency thing, but it's just like, man, I, I feel I felt like probably a lot more people cared about me and my career than than was actually true just because, you know, when you're when you're younger, you can really conflate things and make things a lot bigger uh, than they should be. So I, I've, I've learned a lot over how to deal with a lot of those pressures, those expectations that life kind of throws at you. And, um, you know, there it feels like it was just one thing after another after another and kind of created this perfect storm that started pretty quickly after I signed my uh, my – you know, initial, you know, signing bonus and, and contract yeah. um, to start playing with the Astros. Mark, Mark you, you're touching on the thing that I wanted to ask you about, which was yeah. Um, at what point in your career did you start saying to yourself, you know, the pitcher and the player that I'm supposed to be as the number one pick in the draft is not who I am and it's probably not going to be who I turn out to be. Like, when did that start to dawn on you? I think, I think it probably started to dawn on me um, when I got hurt in 2016. Um, you know, and, and which, which means for four years, it was really tough going because I had this, this hope, this expectation that, like, the, the sh- I would be able to ride the ship. I'd be able to get back on the right track you know, these are blips on the radar, you know, and I had, I had some games, I had moments throughout those years. I wasn't just all bad. Right. I had some moments where, you know, I, I would throw a complete game, you know, strike out 10 or 11. I, I would, you know, go seven innings, two hits, no walks, 10 punchies, you know, it, like I would have some really good games, but it just wasn't consistent enough. And then when I got hurt in 2016 um, and went on the injured list, um, that was like, when I'm like, man, all right, I'm having surgery and, um, you know, this is just like life really hasn't gone anywhere remotely close to what I expected it to, to be, um, you know, and, but I, I've always been like fairly optimistic and, and hopeful and just trying to, I try to see the best in people, try to see the best in situations and try to find the silver lining. So, you know, just staying positive has always been something that I've tried to do. Um, and even after 2016 and the surgery coming back in 2017 and then, all right, you know, like, again, this is the year, this is, this is the year where, you know, everything works and, and let me just focus. And, um, and so, uh, and then got hurt again in 2017. And by the end of that year, I was, I was depleted. I was, <laughs> I had nothing left. Right. So, um, so let's talk know, about I needed, that. I need a break. Let's talk about that because 2017, you leave the game and, and as you were burned out, depleted after three plus years away, you decide in 2021 to come back. Now, that's a big yeah. deal. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, you left, what, were you 26, I guess, when you left? 27, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Yeah. And it, it presumably moved on with your life. But you decide, you know, nobody walks away from the game and come back three years later. What was the impetus to come back? And how, how was it picking up a baseball and throwing it competitively for the first time after three years off? It, in, in some ways, you know, it felt like riding a bike, you know, but super rusty. I was like, man, I, I don't, I don't 
you know, like I, I just feel like I'm, you know, back to trying to learn how to do this thing again, you know? Uh, so it, it was, it was really strange. Um, uh, cause I've, I've had this whole body of work my whole life playing baseball. So in some ways it just felt very familiar. It didn't feel like a long time off, but in other ways it's like, Oh yeah. Like my arm isn't <laughs> like, I'm not as consistent. My body's not moving as consistently. I'm not throwing as many strikes as I'd like to, you know? And then you start battling with a lot of these, like, um, just not, I'm not the, the player that I want to be or, or whatever. Uh, but I, I think I did a much better job of fighting some of those, like, you know, those negative comments and, and just, the yeah, just the negative self-talk um, or, or, and really it's just the, the hardness um, that I would, I would be really hard on myself. You know, I, I expect so much of myself and kind of had, had for a long time, this perfectionistic mindset. So when things weren't going well, you know, I, I, I would beat myself up and I would take all the blame for everything. Um, and that's just a, that's just a hard way to live, you know? So, um, so Mark, to that point, when you finally make it to the mound at Citizens Bank Park last year and you're pitching in the major leagues for the Phillies, <laughs> is, yeah. your, is your thinking at that time, I've made it? Or is your thinking, I'm just beginning and embarking on – the career I was always supposed to have? Um, it, I don't think it was either, as, as strange as that sounds. Um, like, l- last year was, was so special for me, in part because I had gotten to the point, you know, I, I showed up to spring training in a, well, physically, I, you know, I wasn't dealing with this elbow stuff, but, like, I, I wasn't prepared for the season. I, I kind of had a rough off season. Uh, just in my personal life, there were just a bunch of things going on. And so it's like I, I, I was kind of in a, in a rough spot dealing with a little bit of depression even. Um, and so I, like halfway through spring training, I'm like, oh, this is, this is probably going to be my last year playing. You know, it's my last year that the, the Phillies have my rights. It's a tough minor league free agent market, a lot of players, not a lot of jobs, you know, like – I, you know, as, but this is, this is potentially my last year doing this thing. And I had this realization and I'm like, well, if it's my last year, then like, I'm just going to enjoy it no matter what. Like I could have a 12 ERA. It's like, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm not going to let anything that happens on the field determine whether I'm having a good time, whether I'm soaking up every moment that I have, because every moment, like genuinely, I believed it could have been my last, you know, it's like my, my, I've had injuries. I've, you know, it's like, I, I just never know when that last day will be. And so that's kind of what my mindset was. And, and a couple months into the season, I was pitching well, but I was also like, I'm not on the 40 man roster. Like I'm not going to hold my breath for this. I'm, I'm, I'm just here today. And if today and getting to be here in Lehigh Valley and just really got to know those guys really well and felt like the chemistry was great on the team. We were winning a lot of games. We we're having a lot of fun. And I was like, man, if this is it, if this is all I get, like I, I've I've had a blessed career and I have way more than enough, way more than I deserve. Wow. Um, and, you know, and then, I mean, I, I remember seeing one of my really good friends from college who lives over in New York on an off day. I just drove over there and we were hanging out and I kind of gave him that sentiment. I was like, man, I, I just, I'm just like thankful. I'm so thankful for this year and I don't know what happens next. 
I don't, you know, right. and let me let me take you there because I want to. I, I want to. There's a few things that we want to get in here. You yeah. do make it, as, as Mike said, and June 29th against Atlanta, you pitched the ninth inning of a loss. You faced Marzello Zuna uh, as your first batter. You, you pitch an inning. You get you, one hit, um, one strikeout, clean inning. Um, I, I watched that highlight of you on the mound, and you're smiling. I mean, it yeah. seemed that you you recognized and appreciated the moment that you had spent your whole life getting to. So I'll, I'll kind of ask you just quickly to like, what did it feel like when you finally were on that mound? I mean, it was, it was a feeling like I've never felt before. Um, it's funny, like the smiling people are like, oh, you're smiling. I think I smiled because I looked up at the video board and I just saw my brother just like oh. cheering for me. I'm like, oh my, I'm like, yeah, oh my they, gosh. They show, they show it on TV. I guess it was your family. They show them on yeah. TV there. Yeah, yeah. My brother and his wife and um, – yeah, it was just – I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. You know, but even the feeling of just running in from the bullpen. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was special. So, Mark, let's contrast that with what you wrote about in your journal, which is on Monday mm-hmm. getting the tap on the shoulder in Clearwater uh, that the Phillies are going to release you. And you write so yeah. eloquently about this. One of the things that you write in this piece is, grief is the natural response to loss in life. But it doesn't come from losing anything. It's the response to losing what I deeply love, what I'm deeply grateful for. And you write about mm-hmm. going out into your car after you, after Dave Dombrowski tells you that the Phillies are going to release you and, and crying. And yeah. this fascinated me from this standpoint, and you kind of touched on this in what you wrote, which is you hint, you kind of hint that you were hesitant to do that because you're a guy. And you're an athlete, and athletes aren't supposed to do this. They're not supposed to cry and show emotion. And, yeah. it, and it seemed like you also were kind of saying, you know, we live in a time now, or at least maybe I'm, I was projecting this as I was reading it, which is we live in sure. a time now through social media where people address great emotion, it seems to me anyway, over small things, <laughs> almost <Right>. disproportionately. <laughs> so how did all that kind of factor into your thinking and your reaction to what had just happened to you? And, and how did you get to the point where you said to yourself, you know what, I just got to let it go and, and let the emotions flow. I, I, I think it's just, you know, in some ways it was, I, I've, I've done a lot of work on my mental health um, over the years and just uh, becoming a little bit more self-aware. Um, and, and so I, I just, I think I just trust, my emotions a little bit more um and so like when i when i feel sad it's like i'm okay feeling sad because i'm, I'm such a logic like you know I, I value logic so much so it's like i need reasons for things but like sometimes it doesn't seem like emotions are rooted in logic but um i, I think just as i've grown i you know i, I was like man th- this this hurts like and it's okay to be sad um, and it's not that I'm being rejected. It's like, there's so many factors again for this decision. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like the, what the Phillies have meant to me, my, over my career, like, I mean, genuinely, it's just my whole story. They traded for me back in 2015 from the Astros. You know, they said like, man, we, we don't want to do this trade to send Ken Giles to the Astros unless Mark's part of it. And the Astros made that decision. They traded for me. They let me go take care of myself when I left and they, they put me on the restricted list. They said, we want you back. If you ever decide to come back, when I came back, they welcomed me with open arms. They gave me a chance to get my feet wet again for a full season in a, in a, in an environment where 
guys are trying to get jobs. They let me come back in 2022, put me in the bullpen, and then I get called up. I make my debut. I'm a, I'm a Philly forever. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. the city of Philadelphia, the organization is is so special and so dear to me. And it's not just because of what's happened in my career. It's all the people, all the people that I've I've really gotten to know and become friends with, and it feels like family. You know, and and so in that in that like I I just have to admit that, and I have to be. I have to be willing to say, hey, even though my loss is, like, similar to so many guys, like, guys get released all the time. It's, it's a very common thing, right? It's just part of the business of the game. But it's like, this is still hurts, and it's still mine, and I'm, I'm still allowed to, to grieve this, and I'm still allowed to cry, and I'm still allowed to, to do this. And that doesn't take anything away from, you know, <laughs> just, like, I'm not wallowing in self-pity. I'm, like, this, it's this balance of, like, all right, grieve the things that are worth grieving but there's you know like you said there's a lot that isn't worth grieving that we're we're grieving and so it's like you have these two extremes it's like you're you get you get fired from your job and you go down this rabbit hole and you like have all this negative self-talk and you're just like so sad and you can't get out of bed and you enter into this depression or whatever it's like that's an extreme and i don't think that's like the healthy response Mm-hmm. The other is like you get fired from your job and you're like, screw them. I don't care. I'm just going to keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. Right. And you're like, but man, did that job actually mean something to you? Do you, did you love those, those people? Did you pour your heart out for this company or this organization? It's like, it's okay to be sad about that. Yep. But you know, so like there's, there's gotta be this balance, you know, you see it with the loss of family members as well. You know, it's like either you get to this point where you, you can't even get out of bed or you get to this point where you don't even take the time to actually allow your emotions to be like, man, I, I just lost someone I loved and I'm never going to spend time with them again. And that sucks. It's a, that, <laughs> like it's, we we it's, just aren't willing to admit that, you it, know, it's a very good metaphor, by the way, in, in case people just don't us, Mark Appel is our guest. Mark was a pitcher for the Phillies was released on Monday, uh, had a long struggle to get to the major leagues, got there last year. One of the things you wrote, and this is certainly very common is what you'll miss. Actually you wrote, um, I got to do enjoy every day, playing catch on the grass, making jokes in the clubhouse, competing whenever I got the ball, winning, losing, all of it. But one of the things you talk about missing is the guys, the uh, the atmosphere. Yeah. And um, let's talk just uh, briefly. We got a, just a couple of minutes to go about yeah. w- what it meant to you. What you know, those guys, who those guys were, what you got to do, what it was like being around those guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I saw it um, obviously last year. You know. Um, culture-wise, it's like when I got called up, um, it's like I, I, I mean, I, let me go back to Lehigh Valley. It's like the culture we had on paper, I don't think we were supposed to win a lot of games. Like, I don't know. I mean, like maybe maybe we could be pretty good. But uh, like halfway through the year, we were first place. It's because of the chemistry in the clubhouse, like guaranteed. Um, it's like everyone was playing better because when you're playing selflessly, when you're playing for something greater than yourself, like that's how you create a winning organization and so when I got called up and I saw the love that a lot of the older guys um were showing to the young guys how they it wasn't this old you know this the old traditional hazing like hey we're the veterans you're the young guys you guys take our bags you you do all this stuff it was it was like a uh it was kind of sacrificial leadership hey we're here to help you because we know how good you are and we want you to help us because we're trying to win and that, like, that's how winning, that's how winning organizations culture is, you know, that's how it is. And so 
like when I saw that, I'm like, man, you know, it's like, I know the record and like where we are, it's like, we're going to be kind of right on the bubble, like wild card, whatever. But it's like, we got a, we got a shot. Like we got a chance to, to do something special this year because, because of the guys in the clubhouse, like everyone was really pulling for each other. And, um, and I think when, when Bryce went down last year with his injury, it's like, that's, that's, uh, you know, that, that, those are moments where you're like, all right, we just lost our, our best player. And like, how are we going to respond to this? And everyone, everyone grew closer. So when Bryce came back, it's like, he came back to a team that was completely like cohesive without him on the field. And he just stepped into his role and was the Bryce Harper that everyone needed him to be and did, you know, amazing things in the playoffs and got us to the World Series. Like, it was a whole team effort. And so, it was beautiful. So, Mark, as someone – this is my last question, and thank you so much for spending time with us. Uh, yeah. As someone who earns his living uh, writing, had you written much before, and, and are you going to continue to write, you know, online and in your diary and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've had I've kept a journal for years, um, and it's been really therapeutic for me. Um, and I've shared some of it. You know, I shared a few Twitter threads over the last couple of years, nothing super consistent or whatever. Um, but this was actually something that I was planning to do this year anyways. You know, I was hoping to just, like, give people a little bit behind the scenes, kind of bring some of the humanity out of the sport um, and just kind of – and, and I can only tell my story. And so that's the thing. It's like, I don't want, I don't want to talk about other guys. Like I value the, the sanctity of the clubhouse. And so it's like, I'm trying to thread this needle of like, Hey, how do I, how do I communicate what the human side of professional sports is like, but from my perspective, also in a way that might encourage or help someone else, you know? And like, I got a bunch of emails, you know, like guys that were like, Hey man, like, <laughs> reading your thing gave me the freedom to cry today because I lost my mom years ago and I haven't dealt with that. I'm like, man, that, that means more than anything. Um, like that, like that, that's greater. That's a greater impact than I could possibly have, you know, on the field sure. or trying to win games and stuff. So it's like, I'm like, man, this, there might be something here. It's like, so I hope to keep sharing. I'm in a season of uncertainty and like, I don't know what happens next, but it's like, I can share, I can, you know, I can, I can try to put pen to paper and, and give people insight into some of the things that I'm going through. Well, people, um, people can follow you on Twitter at Mark Appel 26, Mark A-P-P-E-L 26. I, mm-hmm. I want to close with this because there is a great quote that Mike, you brought up to me earlier today uh, from Jim Bowden, who yeah. by the way, was yeah. a major league pitcher who was a terrific writer, could be a model for you. Uh, I hope I get this quote right. He said, "All Mike, you you have the I'm quote. Gonna, I'm okay. going to try to call it out. All right, let's get it correct. Um, and I don't know if you've heard it before, Mark. It's uh, but it's essentially he says, here it is. You spend a good piece of your life gripping a baseball, and in the end, it turns out that it was the other way around all the time. Mm-hmm. Is that how you feel? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a beautiful quote. Um, you know, it's like well, we we think that we think that we're you know, we have a grip on this thing, and, and it turns out, man, baseball has is, is formed us and molded us, and, um, you know, yeah, it's beautiful. Well, listen, we wish you good luck in whatever happens if you're able to stay in baseball. If you move ahead, you're you're obviously uh, just such a smart, honest, introspective guy, and we've really enjoyed it, and uh, I've enjoyed reading you. Again, follow him on Twitter, at Mark Appel 26 and we hope to talk to you again, man. 
Yeah, thank you. And for anyone listening, if you want to get my my journal entries uh, to your to your inbox, um, you can go to markapel.com and, and sign up. Um, so just trying to trying to spread spread love and and positivity and um, share interesting stories. So good stuff. Uh, thanks for reading. Hey, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, Mark. Be well. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna somebody wants to talk about. It. Let's get Joe in here. Okay. In Levittown, Joe, what do you think? Hey, how you doing, Glenn? How Good. you doing, Mike? Hi, Joe. Um, so, I mean, I, I give Mike, or I'm sorry, Mark, Mark all the credit uh, for coming on and allowing to be interviewed by you guys and uh, also, you know, kind of being vulnerable and, and such. However, I feel as if it was a very painful interview. It seemed like he was kind of dancing around your questions at times. Like, it's like he never really admitted that he just – wasn't good or that he just didn't carry what he was, you know, uh, projected to be in, in, you know, major league baseball. And and I get it. I mean, no one wants to sit there and say, Hey, I I wasn't good or I wasn't what I was supposed to be, but it's like, he kind of danced around a lot of your questions. And to me, it was just a very painful interview to get through. I give you guys all the credit. It's not, and, and I give him credit for coming on to at least, you know, like I said, show his vulnerable side, but, Okay, I hear you. I I don't know that I agree, but I appreciate that you said it. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we've got to get to a break here, but it's one of the fickle things about baseball uh, is you never quite know who's going to be a superstar. And the fact that you're the number one pick in the draft, whether you're that good or not, assigns certain expectations to you. And Mark talked about that pretty eloquently on the phone. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow on 94 WIP. Well, uh, you probably recognize at least a few of those voices, the last being President Obama, others being some of the greatest players in the history of the NBA, talking about Bill Russell. And there is a documentary, I guess a two-parter on Netflix, that Mike Sealski has been watching. Any good? Terrific. Uh, it's called Bill Russell Legend. It is two parts. Each part is 90 minutes in length. So you're talking about a three-hour watch. And well worthwhile. Uh it is directed by a guy named Sam Pollard, who's got a long history of producing and directing really terrific documentaries. Uh, he was part of the team that did uh, Four Little Girls back about 25 years ago, won the Oscar for Best Documentary. One of the executive producers of this is a guy whose name should be familiar to people who like sports television. His name is Ross Greenberg, and he was kind oh, of yeah. the, the driving force behind all the HBO documentaries about Villanova's victory over Georgetown in 1985 and the one they did about the Broad Street Bullies a few years ago uh, and HBO Real Sports. So it is of the highest quality. Some of the interview subjects that they get to talk about Bill Russell are absolutely top-notch. We're talking about Larry Bird, Mm -hmm. Magic Johnson, Bob Cousy, Isaiah Thomas, present-day players who couldn't wait to talk about Russell like Steph Curry, Jalen Rose, you know, not a present day player, but a TV mm-hmm. personality. And one of the cool things that they do in the documentary, and, and obviously it gets into both Russell's playing career and his work in the civil rights movement and towards social justice, is he was a prolific writer, uh, multiple autobiographies. And they have uh, the producers and director have the actor Jeffrey Wright read some of Russell's writing. And it's terrific. Uh, never mind the clips they have of Russell playing, and there's several minutes spent on his rivalry with Wilt Chamberlain. 
uh, it's it's really a top notch documentary. Great, I'm, and it's on Netflix. It's I, on I Netflix. I'm looking forward to uh, catching it. By the way. While we're watching is sponsored by Got a Door and Window. Receive 20% off all windows and doors with no money down, up to three years to pay it off interest-free. Call Got a Door and Window today, one eight seven seven go guide or visit them at goguida.com. I will watch that. I am currently watching an amazing <laughs> series that's 22 years old. <laughs> so, so here's the story. Uh, I'm watching Band of Brothers. Um, I'm going to France this spring. I'm going to Normandy. Uh-huh. I'm extremely excited about seeing that area. Um, and I don't know enough about it, so I bought a book about it that Ray Dinger recommended. Okay. Pretty terse read, tough read. Yeah, uh, but I'm trying, working my way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never watched Band of Brothers, and the reason I never watched it is because if you remember, it came out right after 9-11. It yep. came out in September 2001. Yeah. And quite frankly, I, I just I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I, it's like I needed something that was very different from that at the time. And then I never watched it. And now I'm watching it. And it's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm telling the audience stuff that everybody knows because everybody in the world but me has seen it. But Band of Brothers is great. So that's what I'm watching right now. But it made me think about something. And I'll ask you this. And I'll ask, uh, we'll take some callers about sure. this. You too, Buzz Wilson. Is there a show? That is a great show that just eluded you. You never watched it. And, you know, someday in your life you want to go back and watch it. Because for me it was Band of Brothers. Once upon a time, I was late to Game of Thrones. I didn't mm-hmm. watch the first three seasons. And I thought, like, I better do this. Yeah. So I, like, binged the whole first three seasons in, like, a week and caught up with it. And I'm glad I did. Right up to the end, which was not that great. Um, but is there a show that you've never watched and, you know, someday you got to get to that great Yes, there is. There is a, a big hole in my pop culture repertoire. And I'm someone who prides myself, honestly, in knowing a good bit about pop culture and movies and TV and books and all those things. But I have never, Glenn, sat down and watched from the start of the first episode to the end of the last The Sopranos. What the hell's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong with me. So when the show came out, I did not have HBO. So I didn't get into it at the time. Mm-hmm. And the farther away or further away I got from it, the more TV was out there that I wanted to see and the more shows that I needed to catch up on yeah. were out there. Yeah, I get um, it. You know, yeah. I made a choice at one point. My wife and I sat down to watch The Wire. We had heard so many great things about The Wire, and, of course, we binged it. Yeah. You know, every night was we got to watch an episode of The Wire. Sopranos is better, but yeah, yeah. and I just haven't gotten around to it. Will you? I will. Okay. The the time will come when I finish a big project for work or feel like I've accomplished something, and I will take three days and I will watch the series from beginning to end. The problem with that is it's been so discussed over the years that you probably know half the things that happen before you watch. Again, we were talking about that before the show. Like I'm very familiar with the idea of eating ketchup packets in the Pine Barrens, (laughs) but I just haven't seen that episode yet to to really appreciate it. What about you? Dan Wilson, any any show? It's a great show, but you never watch, but someday you will. So for the longest time, it was Curb Your Enthusiasm, which was inexcusable because I think Seinfeld's the greatest show ever, and I'm a huge Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David fan, and it took COVID. For me to yeah, actually sit down yeah. and watch the whole thing. Yeah. I might need another COVID, or I might just go over no, to Mike. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> much shorter. Say much that. shorter and a lot, you know, less help. But I, I need that type of thing, like you just need the a, time. You I, need a decent to flu, watch. flu bug. Yeah. To watch it. But Mike, I'm co- coming over to your house. I swear I was going to say The Sopranos, too. You've never watched Sopranos. And I, I have zero Is good reason. Is it an reason. age thing for you? How old no. were you when it came out? 
I mean, it came out what during the two thousands? No, a lot of people yeah. my age have seen it. Okay. Like it's it's totally inexcusable that I have not seen it. I have no good reason that I've yet to watch it. People who seem to have similar interests in TV seem to yeah. like it. Everyone seems to like it for the most yeah, part. I, was, uh, I would say my ranking of the greatest TV dramas of all time. I have Breaking Bad one and The Sopranos number two, and and wow. most people will go the other way with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so. I'm, I'm going over to Seal Keys. We're watching together. Okay, well, good. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, you, you know what? You're not invited unless you're babysitting my kids. I may join you. Okay, sounds. I'll, I'll, I'll babysit We'll make it a party. I'll how bring. Old are, how old are the kids now? <laughs> Eleven and eight. That's not I'll, too bad. I'll bring the beer. <laughs> oh well, in that case, all, all right. right. Then we're doing. I'm not changing diapers or anything. So That's I'll, old enough. <laughs> so I will add that in. Let, 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 if, if there's a show, and I have something else to talk about, but there's a show that's great that you've never watched. Let us know. I'm really curious about that because for me, it's Band of Brothers. I'm watching it now, and it is an amazingly great show. Okay. Uh, Bob in Willingboro joins us. Hello, Bob. Hey, good morning, fellas. Hi, Bob. Uh, I thought that was a great interview. I, 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 I'm going to get misty if, if I talk about it, but you guys touched me. That was Thank a you. great Thank interview. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Football. All this noise about Bijan at 10, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> it. Sounds like he's talking to a nine-year-old. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, you want I mean, to draft a running back at number 10? Well, forget it. I don't, Listen, I think we both agree with you. Let's not have a Ricky Williams fiasco again. Yeah, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying that a defensive beast is there for us, whether it be – a killer cornerback that makes one of our two high-priced cornerbacks expendable next year, that's a possibility. Or if uh, Jalen Carter, by some misfortune, pulls a Warren Sapp and falls to us at 10, uh, I'm going to need bail money that night. <laughs> Rob, best- Bob, you, you are on the record real quickly, because I just want to throw this out. Is there any great show? I don't know if you're a big TV guy, but a show that you've never watched that you know you should. To be perfectly honest, I, I got to be honest, and I'm a PBS guy. All right. Uh, I, I avoid the networks like the plague. All right. Well, hey, good stuff on PBS. I watch it as well. 215-592-9494. Coming up at noon, we're going to talk to uh, Alex Coffey, Philadelphia Inquirer baseball writer, get her thoughts on the Phillies moving into the season starts Thursday. Thursday, Glenn. Unbelievable. Okay. By the way, fa- oh, you know what? Before we get out, and I don't know if you're the baseball, the WIP Fantasy Baseball League is drafts on Monday. Is that right? I get, don't try to seem less interested. I, I uh, could not possibly be less interested. I have picked three. Oh, so you, you could take Joel Embiid. Do you know? No, it's <laughs> baseball. Do you know who has picked one? No idea. Look straight ahead. Ah, Buzz. Yeah, yeah, number one pick. All right, we'll get into that in the next hour, and we'll get your call. This entire it. segment's all been a bit about number one picks. That's that's right. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. Well, that was the moment the other day, and it's as bad as Scott Fransky makes it sound. Uh, Reese Hoskins has a torn left ACL. Will require reconstructive surgery. And by the way, I've been there you with, have. with both legs, but uh, I'm not playing first base for the Phillies. Dr. Mark Pollard, our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint, is our guest today. Doc, I imagine you've seen more than your share of those. Um, there are so many questions to ask, but I guess the first one is, what is the typical surgery for that? What is the recovery for that? 
Yeah, I'm, you know, for better or worse, it's a, not an uncommon problem. Um, you know, the ACL is one of the most important ligaments uh, stabilizing the knee joint. And so when it tears, uh, the knee is rendered un- unstable. And so it, as you try to do activities, it will continue to give out. And so to try to prevent further damage and to allow, you know, high-level activity to resume, you, what you have to do is actually reconstruct the ACL. Uh, in most instances, you can't simply repair the ligament. When it tears, it doesn't tear like a sheet of paper where the, you can line it up perfectly and stitch it together. Um, if you can imagine, the ACL is a rope made out of a bunch of little threads, and so all those little threads tear. And so uh, it looks like a couple of mop ends when it does tear. Um, so the, you essentially have to replace the ACL with something, and the gold standard is a strip of tissue, uh, a ligament, uh, or a tendon from either the same person or from someone who doesn't need it anymore, like a cadaver graft. However, in mo- most of the time in you know, very young, very high-level athletes, we lean pretty heavily towards using their own product, uh, the so-called autograft. And essentially, you just drill tunnels in the bone where the ACL attaches, and you string the graft in those tunnels through the knee joint, uh, thus creating a, a new ACL ligament. Doctor, one thing I've always kind of been curious about when you hear an athlete suffer a torn ACL is the movement that caused it. And it didn't look like Hoskins on the play, I don't know if you saw it, was making the kind of severe movement that would generate the torque you would need to tear a ligament. Is that a yeah. common thing, I guess, is what I'm asking. Yeah, it's it's not it's not common. It's not uncommon. Um, you know, it's just the wrong force in the wrong direction at the wrong time. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I did see the play, and uh, it kind of looks like me trying to pick up the paper in the morning. You know, it wasn't like moving at a very high speed. It didn't seem or anything like that. But you know, you just misstep just a little bit, and that force catches the ACL and the knee joint the wrong way, and and it can fail. So it's a uh, uh, in a way, it's scary that things can happen so easily like that. All right, last question. There is some discussion, maybe some hope, maybe foolish hope, that he could be back before the end of this season. Is it realistic to think that a guy who tears it like that in March could be back by September? Yeah, we the conventional thinking is that you know, six months is kind of the minimum amount of time it takes to get back from – ACL surgery. Now, there have been notable examples of people coming back earlier. Adrian Peterson comes to mind. That was amazing. Um, And I think Kyle Schwarber had an injury a number of years ago in a similar situation early in the year, and he was able to get back by by the playoffs. So it's not beyond the realm of of possibility, but it would uh, require, you know, a lot of things going perfectly. All right, Doc, let us let us Hope for that and maybe get a postseason home run or two. Dr. Mark Pollard, always respect your expertise. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you, There you go. Six months. Yeah. April, May, June, July, August, September. You bring him back in October for the uh, World Series? (laughs) That would be great. I'd be delighted to do that. Yeah. Jack in Santa Barbara. Hey, Jack, what's going on? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. uh, prof, uh, I don't, I don't know how you got Buzz. I, I don't know what what that nickname came from. I have my nickname that I own from you. What's what's <laughs> Mike's nick, 
What's Mike's nickname? Uh, that, we, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, no. I, did, you, I, have, did you ever have a nickname in life? Uh, just Seal. That's really all anybody yeah. kind of called me when I was yeah. when I was young okay. in high school. That's pretty. We'll much work it. on it, Jack. Yeah. What do you? What is your thoughts as an Eagle fan about Zeke Elliott? Potentially, he wants to play for the Eagles. What do you think? Rag mama rag. That's that's an old band song. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, not. Sh- I'm no, not. No. I'm not sure what "Rag Mama Rag" by the band. It is a good do. song. It's a great yeah. song. Uh, has to well, do with Ra- Zeke Elliott. "Rag Mama Rag" doesn't have a lot of context to it, so I think Zeke, Zeke Elliott is out of context, bringing him to the Eagles. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Real quickly uh, before we go, Sixers, your thoughts? Um, you know, I'm concerned about Maxi, and hmm. and Mike is a basketball guy, so here's what I'm seeing with Maxi. He doesn't have a lot of confidence with his left hand. And when you see him dribbling, he doesn't have a crossover. He can go around around the curl and, and speed up and make that layup. But they're going to take that away in the playoffs, and you saw that last night. So, what do you think, Mike? I, look, I think there are a lot of things that Tyrese Maxey can do um, – the, the the good part about the Sixers when they are operating at their best is that Maxi is the third option, technically, or even the second if you have Harden as the facilitator. Um, I don't have that – I don't share Jack's concern about Tyrese Maxey not being able to go left. Uh, I think he's a pretty explosive player, one who's only going to get better, and uh, Embiid is still – the alpha and the omega of this franchise. So, no doubt. All right, let's uh, before the break sneak in Clay in Kansas City. What's hey, going Glenn, on, Clay? You, We're doing all right. Hey, good, good. Hey, real quick on Band of Brothers, um, it's fantastic, and I think the interesting thing about that is, as a guy that had a grandfather that fought in World War II, don't you find yourself asking if you could if you could do that? As, as I, a I already listen. I we watched episode one and two. That's as far as I am. But in episode two is when they they jump, you know, and they land in France. And I'm thinking, like, I, I would not have the courage or smarts to do that. I I, I already yeah, I mean, admire like... these guys. And what makes that so, and again, I know I'm talking about a series that's 20 years old that people have watched. But what makes it is they have the real guys who are still alive discussing yeah. it. Yeah at the beginning and the end of the show. So you realize you're not watching fiction. You're watching what these real guys did. Anyway, Bijan Robinson, thumbs up, thumbs down. So I'm I'm thumbs down, and I think it's just because you have to. The way you win in the NFL is you win up front on both sides of the ball, and they need to get younger on the defensive line, and they need to plan for Kelsey. I mean, Kelsey may play two more years, right? But they got to get ready to fill that guard spot. So You're I'm not in offensive on, line. Then. Well, maybe not with the first pick. You know, and maybe not even with the second uh, first round pick, but at, you, you got to keep filling these lines. That's yeah. how you win. With you know, you know what's funny, and, and Clay, I got to hit a break, but thanks so much for the call. Always a pleasure. It's I remember years back when I started doing this, and the Eagles would take offensive linemen mm-hmm. in the first round or two, and, I, and they would get so much uh, criticism. And Tone Davis, well, he <laughs> was he was kind of a bust, but you know, there were there were other, uh, Jermaine Mayberry, yeah. They picked, right, from Who small Who turned out to college. be really good. He was a good player. Yeah. Uh, I think he made one pro ball. I forget. He went to a small school. I don't remember what mm-hmm. it was, but nobody had heard of him. Right. And it's like, Jermaine Mayberry, what are they, why are they doing this? 
Uh, now, I think because the Eagles' offensive line has been so dominant and shown how you win with that, the fans, are, you know, if they take a tackle, that's fine. That's, that's fine. They got a plan for the future. That's yeah, good. yeah. No, it's one hundred percent right. If I'm picking by position, Mike Sealski, I go secondary one, defensive line two, linebacker three, and then I can deal with everything. Else. Yeah, I would flip flop the first two. I think you can't have enough pass rushers. Uh, I think they're going to need them. As to Clay's point, you know, they are a little bit older along the defensive line. Uh, I would I would flip flop the two. I would go defensive end slash pass rusher then secondary. Wouldn't bother me at all. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. By the way, to uh, Jack the Dude's point, how did Dan Wilson get the nickname Buzz? Didn't come from me. Didn't come. From the me. one I'm most proud of is uh, I gave Eric Golden the nickname Turtle here, which he still carries <laughs> to this day. That's great because he looked like the character from Entourage. Entourage yeah. yeah. Uh, but Dan Wilson is called Buzz because it was a childhood nickname. Because, it, because it got you got a buzz cut? No, it got shortened from buzz kill. Because you were so much fun at parties. Correct. Which you want to throw in no, my house. No, I, I, was the type of, I was the type of kid who, like, really enjoyed making jokes that made people roll their eyes and, like, taking it, like, too far and, like, groaners and stuff like that. So okay. someone coined it buzz kill in middle school and it stuck ever since. Right, so it's not that you were a party pooper. It's that you just were inappropriate. Yeah, okay. a combination of inappropriate and a sarcastic party you, You're the anti-George Costanza. You didn't know how to leave on a high note. Correct, but I almost got a kick out of not leaving on a high note, if that makes sense. And, like, and I played I into it. And you, even though it's a negative nickname, you're okay with it? I'm more than okay with it. I've totally okay. embraced it for like 12 years now. Okay. So I, my nickname became The Prof. Yes. Thank you, Anthony Gargano. I mm-hmm. wear that proudly. Mm-hmm. Your nickname is Seal? That, that's what people called me in high yeah. school. It was shorthand. Yeah. That's pretty much it. I've never I, I really would, had a last. I would nickname. say you na- lean a nickname, except they have to. They have to. It's got to happen organically. Yeah. The only person who's ever given himself his own nickname was Kobe Bryant, that I know. Eh, maybe not the only one. No. Might, might be somebody. Most famous person. Might be somebody at the state. Real, real quick note. Uh, Alex Coffey just texted me. Oh apparently, yeah, I'm sorry. A- apparently there is Phillies news breaking. Okay. I don't know what it is yet, but we will get her at twelve. She got to delay a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. We'll talk to her then. Look for. Ooh, we'll get news breaking. Yeah. Apparently. Sweet. Two one five. Well, that means we got next uh, segment open for phone calls. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. And if you call, if you want to give us that TV show, that great show that you've never watched, we kind of like to hear sure. some of that as well. Mike Seal, <laughs> Seal. We got to do better. We Seal do better. and the Prof. Yeah, it doesn't work. No, that does not work at all. On Mac and Mac sounds better to be it honest. Does. With you. It does. It does. On ninety four WIP. So we're going to be hearing calls like that, Glenn, as of Thursday when uh, opening day rolls around for the Phillies against the Rangers in Arlington. Um, But what we're not going to have is resolution on whether Aaron Nola is staying with the Phillies beyond this season. Yeah, I don't like this news at all. So news coming out, Marcus Hayes, my colleague at the Inquirer, uh, just tweeted this. Uh, Dave Dombrowski says the Phillies are breaking off contract talks mm. with pending free agent pitcher Aaron Nola until the end of the season. This is a mutual decision. This does not sound great to me, Glenn. What do Mm-mm. you think? No, it sounds not great at all to me. Aaron Nola, along with Reese Hoskins, who we've been talking about a lot today, are the two longest tenured Phillies. Not sure which one got here first, but Nola was a first-round pick of the Phillies, developed here. Uh, like Reese Hoskins, he's got his share of critics, but he is consistently one of the best pitchers in the major leagues. 
um, and a guy who is, you know, rarely injured, gives you 200 innings a year in, a, in an era where guys don't do that, um, has been a really good guy uh, to have around the team. And when they say we're going to not discuss it till the end of the year, that sounds ominous because he's a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, it does. This, this to me, would be a really big loss. I think Aaron Nola is underrated, quite frankly. I think people underestimate how valuable it is to have a pitcher of his quality starting every fifth day and that, as you referenced, can, that you can count on him mm-hmm. starting every fifth day. And he was terrific in the postseason last year right up until the World Series when he clearly was tired. Uh, but you got to get there first, and he was a big reason why they got there. He's been really good for a long time, and this is not good in any regard. So we were going to have Alex Coffey, my other colleague from the Inquirer, come on at this hour um, to talk about the Phillies and Nola and all that. So we're going to push her back to 1225, uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to weigh in on Hoskins, if you want to weigh in on just what you've heard about Aaron Nola. Uh, we're still taking at Glenn's suggestion – Great TV shows that you somehow have never gotten around to watching. Uh, although, bring something else along with that, but yes. Yeah, please do. Um, and we're going to dive into the NCAA tournament in a little bit. But first, let's get Rich up here from Wayne. Wanted to talk about Band of Brothers, which Glenn is just getting around to watching. Rich, what are your thoughts here? Well, one of the things that's so interesting about Band of Brothers is that there's two local connections from South Philly. As you watch the show, you'll see two individuals who will be interviewed by the name of Babe Heffron and Wild Bill Garnier. Garnier, yeah. Yeah, South Philly residents. When I worked in Center City, I had the privilege of introducing myself to Babe Heffron. He used to walk through Liberty Place every now and then, and he was always very distinctive. He always wore a white jacket and a military hat with a lot of emblems on it, and he stood out, and I— took the time to introduce myself and thank him for his service. Just a a great gentleman. And Bill used to always appear in the Memorial Day parade in Wayne and got great ovations. So there's this nice little local connection that I think you'll find interesting as you continue to watch Band of Brothers. My recollection is that when the show came out in 2001 and those guys were both still around, that... And I think it was Wild Bill came on WIP once or twice. I could be wrong, but that's how I recall it. And, yeah, again, I've only watched a couple episodes, but I'm definitely getting a sense that there's a uh, a bit of a Philly uh, uh, angle to it. Rich, did you want to weigh in on anything Eagles or Phillies related? Well, really, not Eagles or Phillies, but I'm a Pittsburgh guy, and I'm finding it interesting how this week we've signed two offensive linemen, and now you sign a safety that we had for many years. Yeah, what do you think of him? <laughs> Give us a scouting report. Yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts I, there? I, I, I never thought much of him. I thought his twin brother, who plays for the Buffalo Bills, is the better of the two. But I think the connection is because I believe his name is Andy Weidel, who is yes. now mm-hmm. one of the assistant GMs in Pittsburgh because of him coming from Philly. So it's interesting that – these two these two teams are trading players back and forth, and I think that's what we're finding out is going on in the NFL, that there is just this circuitous route that players are taking from one team to another. Yeah, you're right, and Rich, thank you for the call. It is. It's a strong connection between the Steelers and the Eagles. Andy Weidel was one of Howie Roseman's right-hand men while mm-hmm. he was here and uh, would be somebody you'd see come draft time 
would be one of the forward faces of the team uh, anytime decision making came around. Um, Chuck in Worcester wants to weigh in on Aaron Nola. Chuck, what do you think? Always good to talk to you, Mike. Thank you. Listen, got a question for you. And you tell me if I'm a little out of whack here. Now, last year, Nola came up big in a big, big game against the Astros. Yes. Mike, other than that, he's just he's just okay, Mike. Mike, I, I, he just he's just average, Mike. Am I wrong? Yeah, you're wrong, Chuck. <laughs> well, tell me why, Mike. Well, all right. Well, first of all, um, consider the games that he pitched during the postseason. After that, he had a great game. He threw a great game in Game Three against the Braves. Uh, he had a so-so game against the Padres. Yeah, I guess it was Game Two. Uh, but his his outing against the Cardinals uh, in Game Two of that series was terrific. He threw what eight or nine, sh- seven or eight shutout innings, mm-hmm. I believe. So, and if you look at his career in total, Chuck, I mean, you're talking about a guy who was what third in the Cy Young voting back in I think 2018. Uh, you're talking about somebody who fourth you know, fourth last year. Fourth last year. Uh, if you look at his win loss record, you say, oh, he's average. But if you look at the numbers, you look at walks, hits per innings pitched. Strikeout ratio, all those things. He's an elite starter. He just all right. Is. Well, let me ask you this. I'm going to tell you, in my lifetime, and I'm older than you are, Mike. In my lifetime, we got one of the best general managers. This guy has really helped us out. So let me ask you this, Mike. What's the limit for you? How high are you going to go for this guy? You know, that, that's a good question. I, I haven't crunched the numbers yet on what kind of salary figure a guy like Anola would would take. I mean, look, you know. At this stage of his career, I think you're looking at it probably, if you're from a Philly standpoint, like a three- or four-year deal. Um, and thanks, Chuck, for, for weighing in on that. Um, I don't know, Glenn. What would, what would you be willing to give Aaron Nola? I would say, I'm, I'm, so I'm going to look up what pitchers are making these days, right? Because, you know, salaries are nuts. I Listen, mean, so he, here, here's your highest-paid pitchers in baseball right now. Go ahead. Max Scherzer, 43 mil a year. Justin Verlander, forty-three mil a year. But by the way, they're thirty-eight and forty years old. Yeah. Uh, Garrett Cole, thirty-six million a year. Stephen Strasburg, thirty-five. They regret the, that one. The worst contract in baseball right now. Yeah. Shohei Otani, thirty, and he will get more wherever he goes. Jacob Degrom, thirty. And by the way, he's thirty-eight. These guys are old. Yeah. Uh, Chris Sale, twenty-seven. So the answer is, you want to keep him? You're paying him between twenty-five and thirty million a year. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what it is. Three years, seventy-five million. That, Eighty that, million. That would work for me. He, it probably wouldn't work for him. Uh, uh, Zach Wheeler is getting twenty four point five. Now his contract was signed a couple years ago, yeah. so it goes up. Yeah. So I would say Nola is going to want a minimum of twenty five to thirty million a year, and that's what you got to pay. So you're looking at what? You're the Phillies. Three years, ninety. Yeah. I don't want to go beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's kind, and, and I'm sure he might be looking at it and saying, "I want more per year, or I want a longer term deal." One Here's the, the one thing, I know that Aaron Nola, one of his favorite things, is Yingling. Oh, if he leaves here, well, I guess they do sell Yingling up and down the East Coast. <laughs> it's 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 pretty national yeah. now at this point. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, but he can't get it as easily. He can't get it straight. <laughs> well, I was going to say he can't even get it straight from the brewery, but they open one down in Florida. Oh, see, uh, I get, but he's not going to Tampa Bay no, anyway. They, no, they're not he's not. Pay. Chris from Clinton wants to talk about the Phils. Chris, you're on WIP with Glenn and Mike. What's up, Seal? How are you doing? (laughs) That's a terrible terrible nickname. I've got to come up with something different. No, no, you can't, Mike. I know, I know. 
Glenn, Glenn alluded to a certain someone on the station that deemed himself the king, and I don't think you want to be associated. Well, I didn't say specifically any names, but, you know, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's okay. Howard can come find me. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Chris. <laughs> well, what are your the, thoughts on the film? The, the Reese Hoskins uh, injury really, really, I don't want to say broke me, but it, it really made me feel bad this week. Um, I was at his, his uh, first ever game as a Philly. He didn't start the home run streak then in 2017, but he hit a few to the wall, and right away I was like, oh, this is finally a prospect that the Phillies have created, you know, have brought up that seems like he's going to be a legit major leaguer. And, of course, he got he got a lot of crap from the fans, but, you know, he was and will continue to be, I think, a great, you know, great power-hitting first baseman. Um, what I wanted to ask you guys is if you can think of other players, you know, Phillies or otherwise, um, who sort of bridged – eras um between a team in philadelphia that was you know struggling to a team that in this year's or last year's phillies made it to the world series and seems like it's going to be a few years stretch um well, sure. of time i mean if you yeah. want if you want to go back when they got that whole yeah. young crew of howard and utley and yeah Hamels, and thanks chris they went through a couple tough years before that if you want to go way back when you know Schmidt and Bowen and Luzinski sure. come up on a team that's not a good team, but you have these young kids coming up. Yeah, I mean, look at the Flyers of the late '60s into the '70s. A lot of those, you know, Bob Clark was on some bad teams mm-hmm. uh, before they started winning Stanley Cups. Uh, look at the Sixers, you know. Doc- look at the Sixers now. Well, look at them now. Right? But I was going to say, look at the Sixers in the '70s, where that roster was built up over time and. In a weird way, Julius Irving first in 1976 and then later Moses Malone in 1982 were almost like the cherries yes. on top. They were the finishers. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's been situations like that, you know, fairly frequently. Nick also wants to talk about the Phillies. Nick's in Claymont. Nick, Nick, your thoughts? Hey, how you doing? Uh, you know, I hate to say this about Reese, but it's like the modern-day Bill Buckner, and he blows another play in the field and feigns an injury. It's just crazy to me how it comes out so fast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold Nick, on. Nick. You said he blows yeah. one in the field, and what was the verb you used? He what's an injury? Feigns an injury. He doesn't I don't know. feign. Do you know what feign means? Feign means pretends. No. Feign means pretends. Yeah, I guess that's the word I'm trying to use. You think you, he pretended to have an injury? Well, they're going to do, pre- like, do pretend you know, surgery on that injury. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. I feel bad about saying it, but it's like, with the storyline, we want Boehm at first, and we want to clear it. I don't know. It's just, it just, I don't know. That's why I feel yeah, terrible. I don't, I don't, I don't know either. I, I don't know either, Nick. Thank you for the call. Yeah, there's. I don't I think mean, he knows the meaning of the word feigns. I, I, look, um, sustains. Sustains is is you know tore is the word we're yeah. looking for. He tore the ligament in his knee. Yes. Oh my gosh. But listen, there is a certain I don't know if irony, appropriateness, whatever. That he gets injured fielding a ground ball, yeah, because he's never been good at it. Particularly those ones that are hard hit balls right at him. It's been a weakness in his game since forever. And if that's the play he gets injured on, if Nick is trying to suggest there's a certain, is it fitting? Is it ironic? Yeah, whatever word you there, want to use. There is, but geez, have a little sympathy for a guy whose career is on the line here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Glenn, to hear. Uh, the one caller talk about Aaron Nola being overrated and, and maybe it's appropriate or fitting somehow that the Reese Hoskins gets injured fielding a ground ball. Hey, it's, welcome to the baseball season. Yeah. It's a new season. But I, but I wonder if it's a matter of these guys have been here so long and we're here when the team wasn't good. 
that they can never fully shake some of that in people's eyes, that perception that they're not as good as we thought they were going to be or they're somehow supposed to be. So Nola's an interesting character. Um, actually, he's not. As a person, he's not. I've interviewed no, him. He's, he's, he's a terrible interview, but that's, yeah. a, that's not my He's point. a good guy. But yeah, he's, he's a good guy. He is a very good guy. He's just not a great, great interview. But, that, but my point on Nola is the interesting thing about Nola is we have all watched him for a lot of years, and he's pitched really well and has not won a lot of games. Right. And there have been many games that people remember where, like, oh, my God, Aaron Nola's cruising through five innings, nine strikeouts, one hit. And then in the sixth inning, bang, 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 yeah. you know, two doubles and a home run, and he's out of the game, which frustrates the fans. And so I get it. Um, he, he's not a guy, and I know people don't look at wins from a pitcher as much as they used to, but he really doesn't have a lot of wins. I think he's averaged fewer than 10 wins a year, some partial years. Yeah. But if you judge it on that, yeah. But what he is is a guy who's always there, always – picks up the ball, 200 innings a year, good innings, really good innings. His secondary stats are great. His He led the league last year in strikeouts to walks. Yes. Now, maybe some people say, like, I don't care. It's a geeky stat. But it is a mark of excellence in a pitcher. It, it is. And I think they're, he and Hoskins are similar in this regard, too. People forget, because of Bryce Harper's heroics in the league championship series, because of Kyle Schwarber, how – good and essential Nola and Hoskins were when the Phillies needed them early in the playoffs last year. Mm -hmm. Nola threw a great game against the Cardinals to win that series. He threw a great game against the Braves in the same game that Reese Hoskins hit the three-run home run that set Citizens Bank Park on fire. So we remember Harper in the eighth against the Padres, and we remember Schwarber home run after home run. But they don't get those opportunities unless Reese Hoskins and Aaron yeah. Nola are great early on. That's a great point. Uh, listen, uh, Aaron Nola is a big part of this franchise. Uh, like Bryce Harper. Not Bryce Harper. Yes, Bryce Harper. But like Reese Hoskins. And uh, here's hoping, and we're going to talk to yeah. Alex Coffey soon, that they do resolve it. And he's going to be here for this year, so I don't want to be premature. Right, right. There's so few guys who play their whole career for a team. Yeah. Right. I would love Nola, and I, I would love Hoskins to be one of those guys. The la- who's the last significant Philly to play his whole career here? Schmidt? Wow, that's a great, great question. Because um, nobody – nobody Howard. from No, Ryan Howard went to the White Sox, I think. Did he get in at bat with the White Sox? Where did he go? I, he, he went Minor league deal with the Braves, I think. The, did he not play major leagues anymore? But he didn't finish. I mean, he, he, he did go – Rollins played with the White Sox. Rollins played with the White Sox. Okay. Howard never played another major league game other than here? No. He, okay. Ryan Howard, every every one of Ryan Howard's 5,707 major league at-bats okay. were with the Phillies. Good. Because it's not true for uh, Rollins or Utley or Hamels right. or Chooch. Yeah. Um, and it's such a rare thing. I would like it to be with these guys. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely. And, and I'm, an, I'm an Aaron Nola guy. If there is such yeah, a Yeah, I am too. You know. Absolutely. Anyway, when we come back from the break, Alex Coffey, my colleague at the Inquirer, who has just gotten finished filing the breaking news story about Nola breaking off contract talks with the Phillies and the Phillies breaking off contract talks with him. She's going to join us from Florida. She's covering spring training for us at the Inquirer. She'll give us some insight into this whole dynamic between Nola and the Phillies. We, of course, are going to keep taking your calls. 
Glenn and I haven't had a chance to talk about the NCAA tournament yet, and this one coach who Glenn is desperate to bring back to Come on, let's save Temple University. And I don't think it's Let's make history. And, of course, we are taking your calls at 215-592-9494. He is Glenn the Prof Mac now. I am Mike, searching for a nickname, Sealski. You are listening to WIP. Ninety-four WIP. I am Mike Sealski, joined, of course, by Glenn Macnow, and we were going to have the next person who's going to join us here on about I don't know twenty-five minutes ago, and then, as happens in the life of a baseball beat writer, Glenn, as you know, news broke, and we found out that the Phillies and Aranola had broken off talks on a contract extension, which doesn't sound very good, and. Alex Coffey, you had to run off and write that breaking news story. Uh, how did it turn out? Everything okay? Yeah, it's doing my best work. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was uh, just scrambling to write something on my phone and get a response from the agent and try to process everything in 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, they literally told us, gave us save 10 minutes before I was supposed to join you guys. So I appreciate your flexibility. No, um, and we appreciate your time. Uh, and yeah. You- very much so all right give us that 10 minute analysis of what's happening here yeah so basically dave told us that contract negotiations with nola have come to a halt he didn't say he didn't rule out the possibility of them continuing negotiations after the season but he said that they're not going to negotiate during the season to avoid um distractions for nola on the field and Dave just prefers not to do things that way, and I think that Nola prefers it too. So for now, those negotiations are on pause, and uh, I reached out to his agent, and he basically said the same thing, that they're going to pick up uh, contract extension talks at the end of the season. Mm. I find that uh, ominous uh, because that tends to not work out more often than it does work out. Do you have any sense of what either he's looking for or what the Phillies are looking to give him uh, in terms of money or years? I don't, and they've, you know, of course, Dave. We asked him, and Dave didn't want to get into specifics on that. Um, but what I do think, if people are looking for a reason to be somewhat optimistic, uh, I do think a reason to be optimistic is that Dave did mention that he thinks it was in a similar situation to JT Real Muto a few years back when the Phillies acquired him via trade and then they tried to negotiate, didn't come to a deal and then ended up signing him to a, I believe it was a five-year deal in January of 2021. So he specifically pointed out that example and said it reminds him a little bit of that situation. So I don't think, okay. you know, again, I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here and this all happened like 15 minutes ago, <laughs> but I don't think that he would have said that, you know, without us asking him, uh, if, if that didn't mean something. So. so, Alex, this has been an eventful week, an eventful couple of days with Reese Hoskins and his torn ACL and now this news with Aaron Nola. Um, what is the vibe in and around the team down there? Is there still a sense of optimism that we're going to be fine? Is there any sort of quasi-concern kind of leaking into people's thinking down there? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's- hard to get a good read after just you know all this stuff is happening um you know happening over a short condensed period of time but it seems like seems like the vibes are pretty good still um Hoskins has been in and out of the clubhouse um you know so 
it's not like we haven't seen him. And I, I think the, the plan is for him to be around over the course of the season. So as around as he can be. Um, but I definitely don't think that the vibes are what they were before when everyone was healthy and Painter was throwing 100 miles an hour. And, um, I mean, you think about all the – they've really been hit by the injury bugs over the past couple of weeks. It's pretty, pretty astounding between Ranger Flores and, you know, Painter and now Hoskins and, you know, Harper, obviously, which was before. So, um, but yeah, that stuff starts to add up for sure. So let's uh, let's get your best speculation on what they do at first base. There are a lot of options there. Um, what, what what would be your guess right now? Yeah, well, they're really high. I mean, Zabrowski made a point of saying that they're really they really like Derek Hall and they want to give him a chance to get more playing time. Whether or not that means he's going to face lefties is a different story. Um, it sounds like he's going to get the ball going to catch that you know, against righties, but Dombrowski also pointed out that they'll be facing righties most of the time, so automatically that means, you know, Paul will get Paul will get more at-bats coming season and he'll get more playing time. So so he he figures to face the right-handed side. Um, as far as the left-handed side, I think, you know, they're open-minded to shifting Bohm around. You know, Bohm is experienced uh, playing first base, so, you know, if they wanted to do a right-left platoon with um, – with Paul, they could, you know, switch them off facing lefties and righties. Okay. Um, or they could look. Oh, sorry. No, no, I, and I and I hear you. My, my, I guess my follow up to that is until you have Bryce Harper back, then if if you've got um, Hall playing first base, who's who's the DH? Um, they've actually talked about Schwarber potentially DHing to start the season just because they're trying to ease him back to left field. It looks likely that Jake Cave is going to make the team. Um, he's been hitting really well. He's having a great spring. He's actually hitting the ball harder than – there's some stat that said, some stat casting that said that he's hitting the ball as hard as, like, anyone this spring. So they're really impressed with him, and he's been doing that consistently, and he would be a defensive upgrade in left field. So I think right now the tentative plan is to stick him out there, Schwarber DH, and then – you know, Castellanos, you can switch caves, like, between the corner outfield spots to give Castellanos and Schwarber time in that DH spot. Um, but, again, this is just my this is my speculation. They haven't, they haven't officially told us that yet. So just to kind of quickly, in a way, follow up on that, Alex. Edmundo Sosa is a player who is kind of intriguing, and it seems like the Phillies are very, very high on who he can be. Where does he fit into that? Is I mean, I would think he'd be the third baseman if, if Bohm is playing first base on a particular yeah. day. Um, what do, yeah. what kind of player do the Phillies think that he can be, Sosa? Yeah, I mean they're they're eager to get him into the lineup more based on how he's how he's been hitting in the second half of last season and this spring training. He's having a great spring. Um, he's kind of this jack of all trades type of guy who's you know an elite defender. You can stick him at third. You can stick him at second. Um, I don't think that they would stick it at first. I thought that some people were suggesting that as a possibility, but I think that he's such a good defender that they might <laughs> they might think I don't want to say it would be a waste to put him at first, but they might be more inclined to use him, you know, at one of the different the other infield spots that are more challenging. Um, they've also been giving him some playing time in center field, so you know they want to see if he can he can potentially do a platoon with Brandon Marsh out there. Um, but he's he's still pretty. You know, he's been improving, but it's still, it's still new for him. You know, and obviously that transition doesn't happen overnight from the infield to the outfield. So, um, so yeah, they're, I mean, 
I think that they want to get him in the lineup as much as they can, basically. And luckily, he has the defensive versatility to be able to get to get a lot of that playing time. We're talking to Alex Coffey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can follow her on Twitter at ByAlexCoffey, C-O-F-F-E-E. And by the way, Alex, I just want to tell you as an aside, I really respect your taste in music, the fact that you appreciate the old heads, the Warrens, Evans, and all. You, you bring this up with her every time Well, she's because on. I admire her for that. I don't always get that from the people we talk to. You know, right? I like music too, Glenn. You don't have to talk about music with uh, me. You, you like, you know, 12-year-old girl music. Alex <laughs> likes real music. I do not music. like 12-year-old girl right. music. And yeah, you like Neil Diamond, for God's sake. Well, that's not 12-year-old girl music. Yeah, okay, just as bad. Anyway, Alex, as I was planning to get to, Trey Turner is now back from the World Baseball Classic along with a few of the other guys. What's what's your early take on him and uh, just kind of how he fits in and what he's bringing to the team? Yeah, um, honestly, I, I've only been here for – I came back a couple of days ago, and all the news, Trey has kind of taken a little bit of a – a bad seat to all that, but he's, yeah. he just carried on what he's been able to do in, in the WBC onto the field. I mean, he had his first home run of the spring the other day. He's looking great at the plate. I mean, it, it just seems like a very natural fit, and I think that it, it seems that way just because he knows a lot of people here. Like, he, he worked with Kevin Long. He, you know, knew was teammates with Bryce Harper. He was teammates with, you know, New Schwerber. So, um, there's just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, overlap um so it just seems like a natural fit very cool so alex uh last one from me here um are they are they the phillies kind of where are they heading into the season and what i mean by that is you know it's going to the nl east is going to be difficult we know the braves are really good we know the mets are really good um are, are they at a point where they you feel like they hit the ground running, or is this going to take some time for them to kind of get to where they everybody kind of expects them and where they expect themselves to be? Yeah, I mean, what I'll say is that they've made it clear that this is their window and that they're going to take advantage and do whatever it takes to to you know capitalize on this window when they have you know when they have this like two hundred fifty million dollar roster. Um, so I think that. You know, that means, you know, if that, if that means, like, going out and signing, um, you know, a first baseman that can platoon with Hall, I think that they're going to do that, you know, just as someone to, you know, either at the trade deadline or, or in, you know, the final week before spring, before spring training ends. Um, I think that they're definitely trying to capitalize, you know, capitalize on this time right now and this roster that they have right now. So, um, so I don't, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but, um, but, I do think that there's definitely still a sense of, a sense of urgency and a sense of, you know, the win-now mode is definitely well within the pack. Alex Coffey, who does a wonderful job of covering the Phillies for the Philadelphia Inquirer and who has impeccable taste in music, Great not involving in music. 12-year-old girl music. We appreciate your time very much. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. I will see at the ballpark. Yeah. There you go. I get to say that. See you at the ballpark. Yeah. It's going to be a while. It's going to be soon. They yeah. get the Rangers this, this week and then the Yankees early next week. At Yankee Stadium, a lot of early games. Yeah, eh. yeah. I don't like the the balanced schedule. I don't either. I, I want to. I mean, I know competitively it's an advantage not to play the Mets and the Braves as much. But, but man, it's going to be fun. games I care about. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be fun when those teams are in town and yeah. when the Phillies are at City Field or down in Atlanta. It's it's going to be great. Uh, Joe and Hamilton wants to talk about the Phils. Joe, what do you got? Hey, first of all, Mike, I want to say that. Uh, even though I really miss Ray, I think you've been a great addition. You really fit in with Glenn, and 
you know what? Uh, it's such a great show. I never miss this show every week. So. Joe, thank you so much. I'm going to work on my taste in music and on my nicknames. Yeah, good that stuff, way, Joe. That way it'll be completely seamless between me and Glenn. But thanks. There you go. Well, I enjoyed your interview. It was awesome. Um, and also, Philly's lineup. And I do have a show for you guys. Okay. But um, Philly's lineup, um, you got two big boppers out of there now. Um I would, I would think. Now I know it's a lot of right-handers right at the top, but what do you think about Trey and then going with Alec, Bohm, and then Casalinos and Schwarber and then JT? I think you have a good, good mix right then and there. You know, good average and a lot of power. What do you think? I would probably not. Uh, people have more faith in Bohm right now than I do. With me, yeah, it's, you're I, a little I still want it. Yeah, I want. So my lineup against righties, Joe, would be. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I go. I think we all agree. Turner lead off. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll buy Schwarber number two. Yeah. I still think. I, I think he's getting a lot of opportunity. Real Muto. For now, I probably put Derek Hall at cleanup. And back Castellanos behind him. Back Castellanos behind him. Boom six. Yeah. Uh, the starter seven. <laughs> the starter. <laughs> You're yeah. turning into a hockey player. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess that means Jake Cave is playing in the outfield. Yeah. So him eight and Marsh nine. That's, yeah, I would, I would do that against righties, right? Yeah, now. that's that's probably what I do. I think. Look, as we said earlier, Alec Bohm is going to have to be more than he has been. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think, a little more optimistic than you are that he can be that. Yeah, I don't want to sound pessimistic. I'm more like just show me. Okay. Okay. I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to write him into the lineup in the number two spot mm-hmm. or have him play a lot of games at first base until I see he is that productive offensive yeah. player. Yeah, and as far as the lineup goes, I'm I'm a big believer in you get your best players as many at bats over the course of a season as possible. So I got no issue with you putting Schwarber second, for instance, because you you want him to have opportunities. Anyway, uh, coming up in our final segment, Buzz Wilson is going to get you know remind us of what we missed. Glenn and I are going to touch very quickly on the NCAA tournament, and again solve all the problems for Temple men's (laughs) basketball. By hiring this one Oh, God, you're coach. killing me on this. <laughs> we haven't even got to it, and you're oh, killing me on the it. The buildup is just, it's amazing. With Glenn Mack now, I am Mike Sealski, 94 WIP. See, now this is not 12-year-old girl music. That's good rock and roll from my youth. Get right an there. argument from me. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, you got a little sensitive about that one. A little That's bit. Twelve-year-old girl music. I don't, I, don't, I don't usually find you getting defensive <laughs> about anything. No, I will. We I found will, a sore spot there. I, I will defend to the death Neil Diamond, but you know, <laughs> Britney Spears and Rihanna. There you go. Come on, Come on. Uh, I'm Mike Sealski with uh, Glenn Mack. Now uh, we got Phillies baseball coming up at one o'clock today. They are playing the Yankees in Clearwater, and Ellsworth up in Allentown wants to talk about the Phils. Ellsworth, what do you got? Yeah, I just uh, – I don't think the Phillies should move Bohm back and forth between third and first. Uh, he got real comfortable the second half of the season and played a, a really good third base after the uh, three-hour game and the faux pas and the, with the mouthing of the words, I hate it here. And uh, I just want to leave him there. Um, I play Hall at first base and, you know, occasionally give JT a day off behind plate, throw him down there and – you know, Schwarber once in a while, and uh, I let Hall do most of it, and I, I just don't want to mess with his head. And uh, if he goes in another slump, you know, everybody's going to start putting the pressure on him again, and then, uh, you know, how it is when you press. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's... I went through 
that, red light. That, that's a fair point, and, and thanks for the call. I mean, there is something to be said for that. We saw what happened with Scott Kingery when he was uncomfortable with what he was doing in the field, and there were other issues there, too. Any but, words of Steve Fredericks, the late great? I agree with the caller. There you go. Uh, Geary, our favorite referee from Southampton. Geary, you're on with Mike hey. and Glenn. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing hey great. Great. Uh, before I get going, Mike, uh, I, I think uh, maybe we'll do a – how about scoop? You know, I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all. Um, I don't break a lot of news in my role, so I'm not sure scoop well, is appropriate. Maybe you'll but... start. <laughs> <laughs> well, you live up to the nickname. Yeah, high time after 25 years in the newspaper business. Yeah, that's good. What do you got on the fills, uh, Gary? Well, I just I wanted to basically talk about the uh, – I, I believe they, they should be looking for uh, a trade situation or a, or a person that they can add to. Um, I think uh, I agree with the last caller. I don't like uh, them going back and forth and back and forth with uh, Bohm. Um, he's, he seems like he's pretty comfortable right now there. And uh, they'll just be, you know, um, mixing up the chemistry that they had from last year. So I, I think what they should be doing is, is looking on the wire and or, or some type of trade or something like this. So I don't know what you guys I think there will the be trade. guys available. We, we talked earlier about Luke Voigt as a guy available. Yeah. Uh, Christian Walker, maybe you could get him. There, there, there could be names that pop Yeah, up. and that in some ways is the simplest solution, right? You're you, kind you, of looking for a one-dimensional guy. Right. right. You play Hall against righties, and you play this other guy who right. you pick up against lefties, right. and problem solved. So, Glenn, we've been teasing this all show. Temple University needs a men's basketball coach. Okay, so you have a particular idea about who they ought to hire. Yeah, and I'm not unique in this. It's been suggested. I know it's the long shot of long shots, and you can tell me why it's ridiculous. I would love to see Temple University revive its program and make history by bringing in Dawn Staley and paying her whatever fortune it takes to bring her here. Yeah, I love the idea of it in theory. Right now, she makes twice as much as what the Temple men's coach has been making. Yep. She's a national icon. She's yep. probably going to win her second consecutive national championship. Rooting for her. Go undefeated. Uh, she's already appearing in Aflac commercials with Coach K. Yes. Uh, Imagine the endorsement she could get as the first woman <laughs> to coach a, no, I'm serious, a major Division One men's basketball program. But it would be groundbreaking. It would, and then the financial opportunities is that if that's what you're talking about would be there. But she'd then have to win, and Temple's program is in such a shambles right now that I don't know that it's worth it to her to come back. Well, I trust you on that. <laughs> that that's where I can't disagree with. You. Yeah, it's just I mean I love the idea. Maybe a fool's errand for her. Yeah, but there may be somebody else out there um, who could break that ceiling. You know, break the glass ceiling of that. Um, have you been watching the tournament, by the way, the men's tournament? I think maybe I watched this. And that is it. San Diego State has done it for the first time in school history. They're going to the Elite Eight. And the number one overall seed, Alabama, is out. Tonight belongs to Miami. The Hurricanes take out the one seed and advance to the Elite Eight for the second straight year. Now, the brackets, they're all over the place. It is wide open. It's a year, well, unlike any other. You know, it's been a crazy tournament in that regard, Buzz. I mean, no number one seeds in the Elite Eight for the first time ever. And there's only one two seed left in Texas. Yeah, it speaks to the parity that's in the sport now. Uh, you could see UConn winning it. You could see Creighton winning it. Uh, 
San Diego, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And, and we've spent next to no time talking about it, and it's been one of the more fun NCAA tournaments in a long, long time. The last time a one seed didn't win was the two-seeded Villanova Wildcats in 16. Yeah. So it's not as if, like, yeah, we have upsets in the tournament before, but it's usually when you get down to this nitty-gritty Elite Eight. Like, you have the powerhouses. There's no Duke. There's no Carolina. There's no Kansas. There's no Kentucky. Like, the Blue Bloods who we're used to. We have Elite Eight games tonight. Florida Atlantic and Kansas State, followed by <laughs> Creighton and San Diego State. Like, where are, the, where are these schools so coming from? So, who's your team now? I'm going Kansas. That little guard on Kansas State. Oh, he was great. Man, I love this. I'm rooting for the Kansas State. Uh, I think their nickname is the Kansas State Barrett Brooks. I think that's their name. <laughs> the only lot. guy I ever know went to Kansas State. So, I'm rooting for this. No, Mitch Richmond, man. Knock, oh, my, knock my LaSalle Explorers out in 1988 and then went down to the Explorers 10 years ago. This feels like a year that like Gonzaga could finally get over the hump. Like, that's who I would like to see, honestly, is Gonzaga. Buzz, what else did we miss? Yeah, so really quick, uh, John Tortorella telling Flyers fans to stop mailing them that uh, they want the team to tank. He said <laughs> it's asinine. I get it from his perspective, right? He's the coach. He has right. to win games, and you and I have debated the grand issue of tanking yeah. forever. But it's there are people who I trust say there are four or five really good prospects in this draft and they're going to play their way right out of that. Yeah, they are. I mean, look, I get it from a player-coach standpoint. You never try to lose, but the incentive structure is set up so that the worse you are, the better you can be down the road. And the Flyers, I think you're right, Glenn, are going to be on the outside looking in at one of those really, really good prospects. And then really quick, we teased it earlier. Uh, Glenn and I have the WIP Fantasy Baseball Draft. Yeah. I've been told by sources this is the first time this league exists since 2014, I believe it yeah, is. Yeah, it was back in the day we had it. Back yeah, in the I day, would... it went away. But I got the number one overall pick, and Glenn's picking third, you, so I'm looking wanna, forward to you that. You want to declare who you're taking? Yeah, so I told you before the air, it's no surprise here. I think I'm going Otani. Yeah. I, I, you know, he shine in the world baseball classic how about the phillies trying to like save the country the other That's night great trey that turner going that, yard that, short that going yard that tournament was great so you take him so trey turner probably goes number two so i just got to figure out number three you take mike trout and his strikeouts <laughs> yeah, most overrated how do you think otani most... and trout you know return to camp together they like shake, how was that moment they shake hands and they say we're on a terrible team buzz wilson thank you so much thanks to mark appel alex coffee glenn will be back tomorrow morning i'll talk to you next week thanks for listening to wip Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.